Internet, the Premium Pete Show is coming to a city near you. That's right. WeWork presents the Premium Pete Show live tour. First stop, we're touching down in ATL, October 5th, 7 to 11 p.m. Man, stay to my social for all the RSVP links that'll be coming and more info. But that's not only it. We're going to be touching down in other cities later this year. You know where? L.A., Philadelphia, Toronto, Houston. I can't wait. Can't wait to bring a vibe to each city. It's going to be just a real conversation type night. Every city I come in, we're doing drinks. We're doing sounds. We're doing food. And we're doing special guests. Man, it's going to be a fucking beautiful thing. Sponsored by Grillo's Pickles, Jason Mark, and the College of Hip Hop. I'm excited, and I can't wait to get into your city, man. I can't wait. But this episode I have today, we taped this episode a couple weeks ago with Bum B, my brother, my mentor, my business partner. Just a real renaissance man. This was before all the Hurricane Irma and Hurricane Harvey. And all the stuff that Bun has been able to do has been amazing. You know, him him bringing the idea to Scooter Braun and then creating the hand-to-hand that generated over 20-plus million dollars for families and, and people who were affected by these devastating hurricanes that happened in Houston and all over the world. And, I, and everything Bun's doing is everything I knew he who, who he is. He's just a, a pure person with a great heart and could adapt to any situation. And I really feel that I was waiting to drop this episode because he did a couple of different episodes, and I wanted them to breed. And I wanted to put this out when I felt it was ready in time to have the most in-depth Bun B conversation you ever heard because it's two friends just sitting and talking about his ups and downs, his career, how he keeps on moving and grooving, his family, his life, depression. Anything. And it's a special thing. And, and I, I'm excited. Internet, I present to you the Bum B episode. Let's get to it. Cheers. Come on, everybody, get set. Let's go. It's the next episode. It's the Premium Pete Show. News, interviews, all of the info. Listen up. It's the Premium Pete Show. If you want the scoop in the low, down low. Listen to the show, cause milk said so. Fuck what you heard, better act like you know. It's the Premium Pete Show. Internet, welcome back to another episode of the Premium Pete Show. Finally sitting down. With one of my longtime friends, listen, Bun, first of all, I say this every week. I say, look, I'm so excited to sit down with, you know, my guy, my friend. This is my guy. This is my brother from another. You're friends of ours, Pete. Listen, forget about it. Listen, right off the bat, okay, you're eating healthy now. We just ordered some uh, vegetable curry. That's all veggie What's soup. it called? Vegetable curry noodle vegetable soup? Vegetable curry noodle soup in a hot Japanese broth. <laughs> why are you eating healthy now? Is it? Uh... Uh, I saw this movie. Somebody, I don't know why or how this happened. Somebody told Queen to watch this movie called What the Health. Mm-hmm. And um, we watched it, and it's it's one of those things where once you see it, you can't unsee it. Mm. Right? Like when fat people go swimming. You yeah, just can't yeah, unsee it. Yeah. You can't unsee it. that dive no, in the no, cannonball. It's done. It's, yeah. just, it's inbreded. And that's kind of what this is. And I've seen other things. I've you know tried other diets like I'm going to get it. But you... Normally, when people first start trying to lose weight and shit, it's for other people, right? It's for, I want to lose weight for this, I want to lose weight for that, maybe for an event, like mm, a class mm. reunion, pool party, some of that goofy shit, right? So it's a temporary situation. I want, to, I want to get healthy for this thing. So I look good when I go to a Drake pool party or, you know what I'm saying? Some sure, shit sure. like that. 
watching this movie makes you want to get healthy for yourself. Like, like that's what happened with me. I, my wife wanted me to get healthy. My friends, you know, different people. But when I saw this movie, it was like, okay, I'm good. It's the same thing like when I saw The Insider, right, with Russell Crowe, mm-hmm. Al Pacino. It's the movie that talks about Dan Rather and everybody ex- and exposing the tobacco industry, the mm-hmm. memos, and knowing that the shit was unhealthy and killing people. Well, that's kind of what this is, right? You see a movie and you realize what certain foods are doing to you, and I'm not going to get into it with you. I don't want to spoil your appetite. You have a very robust, hearty appetite in this world, <laughs> and I would hate to see you just have to walk past the San Gennaro Festival because you can't have I know, right? meatballs <laughs> and all of this because Bun spoiled the party. No sausage and peppers over here. Yeah, yeah. So, I, so, but I will say, man, like, once you do see this film, you're going to have to take a lot of... For me, I, I couldn't... It was... I couldn't, like once I saw this movie, I just couldn't eat certain things anymore. Mm. No. And I'm fighting hard against it, right? Like the the meat and the chicken is a wrap. Yeah. The, the seafood, like I've tried to bite a fish here, there. I can't eat like a piece of fish, right? Like we ordered some salmon, I took a bite and I was like, it's just subconscious, like you know better than, you shouldn't really be eating anything right now. It's just about the human as, a, as an animal species, not necessarily being equipped to, you know, handle dairy that isn't from another from another human, right? Sure. Trying to process this animal dairy and eating these food. Look, I don't want to turn this into an anti-food podcast or whatever. Yeah, but nah, for me, so good, but for me, I'm just cutting certain things out of my diet and other things completely out of my lifestyle to just be as healthy as possible, sure. give myself the best fucking chance I can. You know, health is well, and a lot of times we say that, but don't live that. You know, I think when you get older and you start getting, you know, into even I would say when people start getting into their forties, some people either learn it or they drop. You know, you think about how many people we lost in in, in their forties when they start getting people. Right. You know, just uh, could be sleep acne, could be could be uh, you know overweight, could be eating wrong. Blood I remember one time. I remember one time you told me something about even like smoking weed. Like you know, when you smoke weed all the time for years, like you, do you feel like that does anything on somebody's li- lifespan? I or? think it depends on how you're taking the weed in, and obviously everybody's got a different physiological reaction to things, right? Like if I smoke a blunt. It might make me, you might make me paranoid. If you smoke a blunt, it might make you chill. Sure. Right? So everybody has a different physiological reaction to this shit. Um, but I will say the way we take in weed, right? Like weed by itself is fairly clean and, you know, it's not really damaging um, per se um, in the long term or like thing. I mean, you talk about memory loss or whatever. You get older, you're going to lose your memory anyway. Um, exactly. But. Yeah, no, the blunts are definitely the blunts and the wraps, and I'm sure that's a problem. I'm sure some of these non-organic or you know some of these random ass rolling papers are definitely not the best, you know. So I'm just trying to, you know, just what was that about? Cool. You two, two passing notes. She, me and Queen are passing notes. Are you kidding? Me? Uh, no, it's all right. It's all right. You know, she's she she she's. I know. I know. I don't even have to tell me. I know. <laughs> Um, so, so saying about health as well, like I said, now that we, you know, are starting to care about our, you know, our health and, and not be young and, and, you know, we, we think about it. When's the first time you've been smoked? You know, cause you've been smoking for a long time, man. When yes. I think, I mean, I'm 44 now, so okay. I've been smoking for 28 years. Mm. Mm. Right, my first. Do you remember? My, take us through the first time you ever first smoked. First time I ever smoked weed, it was just like a spring break vacation. It was like the 10th grade, my 10th grade year. So this would have been like, I guess, 89. Mm. And I'm at my brother's house for spring break, um, and him and his friends are playing dominoes or whatever, and they're passing this, like, really rough-looking thing around, right? Like, I didn't really understand what it was. And 
it was a backwood. They had rolled up weed in a backwood. This was like I said, this was like '89, mm. and um, they were passing it around. And then I don't know what happened. Somehow I got it, and they let me hit it. I don't think my brother was in the room because my brother wouldn't have let me do some shit like that mm. at 16. But somehow I got a hold of that thing and hit it and got very sick. I was like, this is like because it. I I didn't naturally like tobacco and shit like mm-hmm. that, and um, but I just remember like being really loopy, but then also very dizzy as well so my first time smoking weed i'm not really sure if i even got high i know that my body didn't react like like it does now when i smoke a backwood full of weed, mm, you know mm. but uh yeah i definitely remember that man that was in um Braves court apartments in houston so a long time ago you know listen you grew up with um, mom and dad did mom and dad live in the same house uh for for, for the early years um my parents had actually separated before i was born and they got back together when I was born. And they stayed together until like my fifth grade year. So probably until I was like nine. Mm. What did mom do? Mom was initially, mom was a nurse. That's pretty much all my mom has done is like nursing, I guess. Now that I think about it, mm. it's like nursing. So she what went about from pops? more of a pops back then was a foreman for the railroad and then got into like a, like a bar fight mm. and dude like cracked a pool stick across his back. And then had, like, back injuries from then and ended up moving into, like, basically landscaping and painting because he couldn't really, didn't have the physicality to go back into that kind of strong labor. What happened with that guy who hit him with the fucking poster? I have no idea. I know they were trying to sue or something, but they didn't. I think my dad started it, so he couldn't really. Because <laughs> my dad, that's another thing about my dad. He was also, I come from a very interesting family because my. What do you mean when you say that? Well, my father's side of the family is very religious, but my father isn't. So he is now. He's been born again, and he's a pastor. But my father was, in his younger years, like his father, because my grandfather was a criminal. My grandfather died in prison. Mm. And um, and my father was the only one of his kids that actually started doing, like, criminal shit. So my dad was, like, a thief and shit when he met my mom and kind of chilled out when he met my mom. And then my mom's family are naturally wild people. Like, they like to play cards. They like to gamble shit like that. They like to drink, stay up late, talk a lot of shit. But my mom isn't like that. Mm. So they were both kind of like the black sheep. I wouldn't say black sheep because black sheep means we don't really fuck with you. Mm. But they were like the like the alternative to everything mm-hmm. that the houses mm-hmm. they grew up in kind of represented. Mm. Now, so dad, um, was he somebody that, you know, took you out, took you to ball games? or you know, No, 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 no. no. Um, I was the youngest son. Um, out of how many? Four. Four I brothers? Was the youngest youngest son. Yeah, all boys. Damn. All boys. And so my father's thing was I guess they realized early on I wasn't I was built for sports, but I didn't like sports. Mm. So I was always bigger than kids my age. I was probably from maybe twelve to eight I around somewhere between twelve and fourteen, I was the size I am now. Mm. Right? So I've been a big kid my whole life. Um and so they always wanted me to play football and do all this and like I'm, my biggest fear it was, it's always been my knees, right? Like something happening to my knee. That's always been like my deepest fear. And so that was something that in the back of my mind I felt like was absolutely good. And they wanted me to be running back because I was a big yeah, kid, but yeah. I was kind of fat. I'm like, that's a byproduct of being a running back is f- fucking your knees up, yeah, yeah. either through the constant sure, pushing sure. or some, somebody hitting you wrong. So I was like, I don't want to do this. You know what I'm saying? So like 
And then when I did actually try to do it, because my dad like, you're going to play football. You're not going to sit around. I tried to play football. I broke my thumb. My thumb is still, like, slightly dislocated from that. And I was like, I'm not putting this shit on no more ever again. I'm not playing it. My mom was like, leave him alone. He don't want to fucking do this. So then he was like, okay, well, if you're going to be, and if you're going to go for book smart, you're going to be the the top shit. Sure. So my old man just kind of impressed that on me. And it was important to him because, to both of them, actually, because my father never had more than a sixth grade education. My mother never had more than a 10th grade education. Mm. So for them, if I wasn't going to excel in sports or something like that, or back then when I was in high school, ROTC was a big thing, like mm. preparing a kid for yep. a military career. So my brothers were, were either playing football, doing ROTC, and one of them was doing both. And when they realized I didn't have, like, a pull for either or, it was like, well, if you're going to hit your books, then you're going to hit them. So I remember my father, when you go in my bedroom now, we still have, like, that's how old I am. I'm I'm old enough to remember people going door-to-door selling Encyclopedia Britannicas. Really? Yeah. And I still, in my house, have the full set of my Encyclopedia Britannicas that my dad bought me. You know, my dad bought me for me to, you know, book reports and study and just to be better educated. I still have all that shit in my bedroom right now. Now, what is uh, your brothers, what they wind up going to do? Uh, one's currently, well, t- two of us tend to stay out of trouble. The other two tend to kind of rotate in and out of prison. One's in prison right now. The other one, if the way he's going, he'll be in prison any day now. I'm just being honest. <laughs> yeah, I don't just, mean to laugh. But no, nah, crack is a hell shit. of a drug, man. Yeah. And it's, these kids grew up in the 80s where, you know, they went, there was a, the cocaine snorting into the smoking, the lace the lace joints or the primos or whatever you want to call yeah, them, the woolies, woolies, you know what I'm saying, and then just into full-blown crack, you know? Have you ever tried to, you know, give them a, you know, advice? I've done or? everything I can do for my brothers. I've tried it. I've tried, like, the good way, like, come home from prison, get them, like, a little small apartment close to mom's. Look, just right now, just get yourself together. You don't got to work. You don't got to do nothing. Just Get clean, get sure, yourself sure, together, sure. look after your mother. They always fuck it up. Every time my mother lets them have access to the house, then they it, sooner or later they end up stealing some shit. Yeah. They, they stole one of my brothers stole my plaque, my first plaque ever. My Minister Society, my Minister Society gold from, record from the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. What song was that? How did you get Pocket Full of Stones remix? Oh, really? Yeah, but uh, that was because Jive. I was signed to Jive, and they did the soundtrack. Okay. Did you so, know that they were gonna do that? The soundtrack? Yeah. No, no, I'd never been inside that kind of thing. So they sent us they sent us a copy of the script. See, I've been talking to this guy. His name was John. I can't think of John's name right now. God bless this guy. Because he was over soundtracks for mm-hmm. Jive. And he and I, I talked to him and let him know I was a big, you know, film buff and aficionado and just, you know, ran off a lot of different things. So he was like, you know, he would tell me different things, turn me on to different independent films. Him and, like, Sophia Chang okay. both worked at Jive. So that was, Sophia was the one that really got me into, like, Japanese um, like John Woo sure. and, and that kind of a thing. Um, so when the opportunity came, he sent me like two clips of, they sent me a, a cassette with two clips of Menace and they sent me the full script and the script ended up being changed. So the ending of the movie that I had wasn't the ending of the movie that eventually happened. Like Kane didn't die originally. Sure, sure. You know what I'm saying? But then in the movie, it was like, before the movie came out, they decided to kill Kane to show the ugly cycle of life in South Central and that good people die. You know what I'm saying? And so, But just having that script and having that access was amazing. And then, um, you know, we, we did a song and they didn't want to use it. And so we did. We ended up just giving them that Pocket Full of Stones remix. We had did another song entirely different for that movie. Really? And yeah. it just... And it just, just... 
and they Never they didn't done. they didn't want to clear the sample. Mm. So mm. we ended up have we had already done a remix with Pocket Full of Stone, so they just ended up taking. What was that. Pimp's thought about being on? Uh... No movie. He didn't care about that. No, shit. we weren't in the movies. No, I don't mean that. Yeah, but, but it was, on the it, it was a big. It was a big deal in retrospect, right? Like, but at the same time, we had bigger fish to fry. This was sort of kind of like placating us because we were upset with the company about the money situation and all. Yeah, and all that kind of stuff. But it, but that side of it, like the soundtracks and all that, was always like a nice side. And they did. They ended up doing the soundtrack for um, this movie, The Corruptor's Execution. Mm-hmm. I mean, The Corrupter, which was Marky Mark and Charlie and Fat. Mm-hmm. And um, for that one, because the guy knew I was really into movies, he was like, yo, we're going to fly you guys out. You're going to sit with the director in the film editing bay, and he's going to play you the scenes of the movies that he wants you to make a song for. And then I was just talking to him because he had directed a couple of other movies. It was uh, His name was James Foley, was the director. And he really came from the Merchant Ivory, Mer- Merchant Ivory side mm-hmm. of doing like these real classical high-end kind of films. So this end, he was kind of like doing one of these so he can go and get the funding to do like the shit that doesn't make a lot of moves. So he had to do the action movie to get the money for, you know, the period piece. So how does, so how does that work? You get like royalties on something like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's mechanicals on that kind of a thing. And if your song's featured in a movie, then you get even more. Back end and stuff? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Pause to back end, actually. Yeah, that's a good pause. Yeah. I gave you an example, though. Like, for the movie Drumline, um, we rapped to... They actually made a beat out of the one of the drumlines that they performed in the movie. They made a beat out of it, and we rapped to the beat. But because of my publishing share, I get... Whenever they play the movie, I get paid from the song and I get paid from the drumline performance because really? I own a piece I own a piece of it. So that was always interesting. We used to look at the statements and we would see drumline playing and be like, oh, that's that check. And then the statement come in, you get like 15 bucks because drumline <laughs> played. No, because drumline played like 20 times that month on Showtime. Oh, and, Abscap you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. So they send the mail. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You get a big check, you don't get nothing. Up. But then in the early days, like I was still in the red, so we would get statements, and I still wouldn't make any money because we owed the record company and we owed publishing. You know, even, we had bad publishing deals. Even taking it back, um, man, there's so many things to to go over. But let's take it back to the first time that you even rap. That you even thought to yourself that like, like that you could even become a rap like you know yeah like when when was that Where that was you? summer school that was that was around that same summer that I smoked weed right so summer school tenth grade year getting ready to go into the eleventh grade and um I'm in a class with uh, this kid Sylvester Vitor mm-hmm. Sylvester and I you know we I, we were both like honor students and took shit so our summer class was like an early advanced kind of AP placement type of shit so um and he was writing rhymes and rapping this is I remember this clearly because um, this was the summer that um, I remember when Blueprint came out by Karis One. Mm-hmm. Um down productions before. And so I was always a big fan of music. And it was literally, and I've never said this publicly, but it was that album and it was the song Breath Control, mm. right? That, at the, like, yo, I want to do, I wish I could do this. Sure, sure. Right? Like, that was when I really wanted to actually be an MC. I've been in love with music all my life and fell into a very deep love with hip hop music and the culture, rap music. But for that, at that moment, I was like, yo, I really want into this culture. I really want to be a part of it. And Sylvester was in a group. And Sylvester was rapping, but for me, it was like, this was just the dawn of awareness for seeing people around me actually making this kind of music. So, like, Sylvester was in a group with this kid, Frederick Johnson, and Randy Johnson, and they were making music. 
at the same time, the film, the the video director, now feature film director, uh, Boomtown, mm-hmm. he had started a rap crew in Houston. So he's like a video director now, but he was one of the first like rappers in Port Arthur when I was growing up. In Texas. Yeah, well, in Port Arthur, in my hometown. There were still other people, obviously, in Houston. Scarface was DJ Action back then. He was signed to Lil' Troy. Classic. Stuff like that. So um, seeing Sylvester actually write rhymes, I was like, well, if I thought you had to be a particular type of person with a particular experience to be able to do this. I thought it was some kind of innate skill that you either had or you didn't. And seeing Sylvester do it made me realize, like, if he could do it, then I could probably do it, too. So I came up with my a rap name. My rap name was Shadowstorm. <laughs> That was your first one? That was my rap name, was Shadow How'd, how'd you come up with that? I have no idea. <laughs> my first my first rap name was, was Shadow Storm, and my first rhyme was called Lyrical Onslaught. Do you remember how it went? It was it was garbage. I just I I barely remember the title of Lyrical Onslaught, but I I was it was just me trying to put a it was put a bunch of big words. That's all it was. It was just okay. a bunch bunch of big words. No experience, no content, just a bunch of big words. Now even 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 not to not to get you off track, but even like mm-hmm. your voice has always been like a deep. Like even like people in in hip hop yeah. have always My known voice you. Is has always, it always been like that? Yeah. Um it got very like I didn't go through the puberty voice change. My shit just Really? No, nah, I never had like a squeak or anything like that. It just You just woke up fifteen years old woke with a beard up one, or, you know. Woke up one day, Mama I want some breakfast. Give me some grits. I have <laughs> and uh, and non and just kind of as I've gotten older, it's actually gotten deeper and deeper as I've gotten older. So shadow, shadow, shadow storm, uh, and and that was the only name. one. Garbage any any name. other name? Yeah, after that, after shadow storm, it became Bun B Ice. Bun B Ice. Why Ice? Because like, Coogee rap. Okay, there we go. No, you know, that's that's what I was going to say to you because I had those, and there was a lot of initial names: Tommy T, Freddie, Freddie F, you know, Billy B, jo- Bob, Joey you, Bag of Donuts, you know. So, <laughs> But everybody had those initials. There was that time, Cool C, Steady B, all of that. So I came up with Bum B Ice, but because I, I really, really was seeing myself, um, like wanting to see myself as like a Coogee rap, Lord Finesse. Those were the kind really? of wow. yeah, those were the kind of guys I wanted to be. Big Chub Rock influence for me. Um, Chub Rock and 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 Heavy D, rest in peace, influenced me because they were fat, right? They mm. were overweight, but they were very clean. Yeah, they were their still appearance fly, was neat, right? Fly. A lot of fat people were referred to as sloppy or dirty because you don't like it. You just don't. Your clothes sure. don't fit. There's sure. a different fit. There's a different look, and so. But they were fresh. Heavy D with the Coca Cola sweatsuits. Get yep. out of it. These was fresh. You know what I'm saying? And Chub Rock had more of like the 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 trench coat you know sure, sure. hat kind of a loose still but very you know and chub, chub rock even more because chub rock was educated he had a degree right like he had a college yeah, degree smart motherfucker you know chuck d college degree you know what i'm saying so that's kind of the influence of the guys that i came into and then bun b ice eventually became bun b why bun, bun? um the ice just wasn't working you know what i'm saying the ice just wasn't working <laughs> And, and, and um, Bunby and, is because of your name, no? Yeah, well, Bunny, my, my family nickname is Bunny. Okay. And so it, it so Bunny became Bun, and then... Uh, Not the Bunny bun- like a rabbit, right? Yeah, yeah. Bunny, I, like, in my earliest years, Bunny Rabbit, because I shake in my sleep. Really? Like, like it's very, it's, it sounds crazy, because I don't really say it, but I kind of, cro- I, I basically ball up in the fetal position and rock my rock to what? sleep. Really? Yeah. I, have, I, have a fr- I have a friend that uh, needs a pillow to hold. Yeah, me, I have to, yeah. she'll tell you. Really? And I have a pillow on either side, so that if I turn to the left, I hold that pillow. So like, and oh, if that's I turn money. to the right, I turn. I I, I grab that pillow. That's, uh, I, see, I never knew that, man. Which is strange because 
that came later. Like that kind of thing came later because I, I there was never a pillow between me and Queen. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's like this. Queen thought you were humping her. Well, Queen thought it was. She Queen's like, what's this barrier? Because in her mind, it's like a, <laughs> it's like a physical barrier. It's like though, a no? battleship. Yeah, like what is this about? But, but yeah, no, so I sleep weird as shit. And um, okay, so and so, and, and then my yeah. friend Sharan Thomas was kind of who thought up the B because his name was Ran T. And so he's like, yo, you need to be, we're going to put that B on there. So then it became Bun B. So this is before you even met Pimp. This is before you. I knew Pimp, but this was. How'd um, you know Pimp? Um, Pimp's mom was a librarian and his dad was the was the choir director mm-hmm. at our middle school. So you knew who he was just based on knowing his mom and knowing that they had a kid that was in the school. And they were, you know, I wouldn't, they were affluent, you know. They had a nice life. They had a good life. They owned the family. They owned Pimp's family owned seventy five percent of the vending machines really? in, in Port Arthur and Beaumont at the time. Like, what, you mean soda or candy? All or, of that. Really? Wow. So like, so like all the stock rooms in the mall, like the stock room at Sears yeah, and yeah. Dillard's and J C Penney's wow. and all that shit, and our Port Arthur Mall and in the Beaumont Mall, and then office buildings that had vending machines. You know, they they had all. I used to be and Pimp used to go on errands and stuff, and that's how we used to actually earn money for equipment. Is that we would go to Sam's, right? In like 1990, go to Sam's, Sam's yep. buy a shit ton of candy, right? And then go to school and sell the candy at school. You know, you um, we we bounce all over. And we sold different candy later, but that's another. Right, that's a, that's the, that's the, that's another part. But listen, <laughs> when I remember you saying that when you were signed, right? That I don't know who you were signed to, but I remember you saying that. You were working like on some delivery. Uh, some guy gave you a yeah, job. So, who yeah, who so was I, that? That was a good friend of mine. That was Bo. Bo is is an OG in uh, Port Arthur. He's um, a guy that showed showed us how to like get into like investments and rent houses and open businesses and something like that. And um, Bo's a war veteran. You know what I'm saying? He, um, Bo lost um, one of his legs in in uh, Vietnam, I think. And um, just but just a good friend. You know, good. He's a good friend of mine now. He's my one of my classmates. Well, two of my classmates' parents. But as I got older, um, you know, in the world and in the street, he was kind of the guy that tried to keep the young dudes from just really being about that street, street life. Yeah, you know, sure. like Hope says, start buying buildings, right? Buy sure. rent houses and sure. shit like that. That's was, that was both thing. Wanted to get young dudes out the street and diversify them and shit like that. And so when the shit got fucked up um, between albums when we didn't really have, like, you know, we didn't. We had already went from the first album to the second album. We didn't make any money. We were in the red as far as the business was concerned. So we had to take another advance. But then we arguing with the record company. So they kind of just put us on the shelf for a year while because Pimp Steady calling Barry Weiss out of his name and shit like that. And so we're just trying yeah, you, to find, like, music, calling him a bitch. Like, <laughs> the music executive talking about that no, guy? No, the president. Oh, the president of the president of, of, of the record Trump. company. Oh. <laughs> Like, like he called him a bitch, and then the, what? This guy like, so then they just stop up. Okay, stop fucking with calls. You. Just we'll talk to you. Like he called him a bitch in May, and we'll talk to you in January. Like I don't have time for this. And what were we'll you thinking? We're taking you off the calendar year. We'll deal with this next. But year. what were you thinking? Because I'm sure that you smelled he some was, success. I mean, to be honest, he was being, being a bitch about things. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, we still got to live, right? And we don't have, um, we haven't got to that stage where we're, where we have enough equipment to independently produce records for people. I used to ghostwrite for people, do features and stuff like that. But we didn't have all the facilities for that right then. So we had to take it back to kind of what we knew, mm. which was hustling. So I would deliver, you know, soul food dinners and stuff. And then you'd be like, yo, like if I had to go to like the project, somebody order like a hamburger or something and go drive. It would literally be like corner boys. It'd be like, yo, 
you know, we hungry. Nigga brings two cheeseburgers and some fries. And they and so and the thing would be allowed. yeah, and they twenty. But don't that was just saying tell Bun to bring it right. So okay. that was the thing. Just I, I want this and that, and tell Bun to bring it. You know what I'm saying? So then I would bring it, and cats would be like, "You got trees? I'm, you, know, you got somebody? Yeah, I got swishes three for ten. I got a couple of dimes. <laughs> if you need more than that, you got to hit Pimp and Leroy because that I only kept minimal on me. And if dudes wanted like a half ounce, an ounce, or something like that, then you'd have to call like Pimp and Leroy to go get that. But I was hustling like blunts because this is a, it's really a, a southern phenomenon, really more Texas than anything. But we used to have like blunt houses. What the fuck is that? That's where people go and buy pre-roll blunts. Mm. Really? Yeah. Wow. Which sounds crazy, right? Switch house? Switch, absolutely. That's where the name Switch House comes from. So so that's how it got created from that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what it was. That's where the record company name comes from. Wow. Switch House Records comes from Switch Houses in Houston. Wow. You know, you, you, you speak about influence. You know, it's funny, too, because we know each other for years, have, have a great friendship with each other, and it's funny to... It's a brotherhood. It's exactly. A brotherhood. But sitting down here and learning some things, I never knew Lord Finesse and uh, uh, KRS-One. When you were becoming an artist in Houston, mm. did you want to be, you know, the best in Houston, or you just wanted to be the best, like, out of everyone else you've seen? Because I had no idea that, you know, I, I was always thinking that you were influenced just by Houston, you no, know what no. I mean, at the my, time. My thing was... Not always, but mean in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. No, my thing was, because I'm a lyricist, right? So the only frame of reference for, for lyricism at the time where I was was face, Right. But uh, well, I, I mean, I'm, let me take that back. Back then, it would it would have been Face, it would have been OG Style, rest mm-hmm. in peace, E from OG Style, and um, probably Rick Roy from Roy Flush. So it was very minimal influence at the time. I got as I got to know them personally, they became much more influential, speaking directly into my life. And that's why if you go from super tight to riding dirty, there's such a a jump lyrically because I'm getting to know Scarface. As a person, I'm getting to build with him, bounce ideas off, rap around, you know, freestyle, being around people like Big Mike, people mm-hmm. like 3-2, rest in peace, being around Rick Roll and those guys, testing my metal with real MCs, right? Not just writing songs, testing metal, you know? And it kind of helped me get to that level I, I wanted to be. But initially, yeah, I, I, I just wanted to have, if I ever met like a Big Daddy Kane or a Rakim or, you know, somebody like that, or KRS-One, and them, like, I'd be like, hey, I'm Bun B, you know, I'm a rapper. I just wanted them to be like, yeah, I know who you are. You're nice, you know? You're mm-hmm. good with sure, it. Sure, That's all I wanted, because in, because in 92, nobody was rich from rap, sure. you know what I'm saying? Even people Clout. that were selling were records weren't necessarily getting rich, right? They were making money, but nobody was really rich back then. So it was really about, you know, respect and, and for lack of a better term, Props, yeah, you know, it was really about being Who got able the to props, remember yeah, that? you know, and so, which you know, years later, I ended up meeting people, like meeting Big Daddy came before we performed that summer jam with Hove, and you know, him, you know, his son being this huge Pimp C fan, mm. and then Pimp C trying to explain to Big Daddy Kane's son, like how Big Daddy Kane, like if there's no Pimp C without your father, you know. Who was the first person to bring you to New York? Was it Nori? Uh, uh, no, no. Nori's the first person to take me probably into You the, and Pimp, no? Yeah, probably the first person to take us into like their projects, like like straight up projects. We we were good friends with Lord Jamal, still are good friends with Lord Jamal. So Lord Jamal would take us into Brooklyn, take us to Wee Spots off Washington Ave and shit like that. Um, our, first, our first time coming to New York was, well, Pimp came in high school on like a band trip. Mm-hmm. And they went to like Sylvia's and shit like that, some tourist type of thing. But our first time coming to New York as men was to sign our record deal. Mm. 
And then with like, who Jive? With Jive. And mm-hmm. then like while we were up here, like Pimp was like, let's go to Harlem. And I'm like, okay. So we call a cab and we get in the cab and it was like, take us to Harlem. And he's like, where? I'm like, I don't know, just take it to Harlem. So the cab literally takes us and drops us off on 125th in Amsterdam. <laughs> like what well, drives like, welcome to Harlem and just drives off. You know? And what a what a Pimp was like, this is tight. So Pimp was like, yo, let's go get a haircut. Barber, the barbershop is always the heart of the hood. Let's go. So, like, we went to a little barbershop right there, talked to dudes. Who's y'all? Where y'all from? We from Texas. We make music. What's your song? Tell me something good. Ain't never heard of that, B. It's all good. You know what I'm saying? Like, yo, so we like, yo, where the, where the good food and where the trees at? Like, yo, the good food is across the street. Little Jamaican spot, wing spot, whatever. And then the the trees is at the record store around the corner. Like, and we just on the, like, literally, on sure. 125th in Amsterdam on the block. Walk around, got the hair cut, didn't get robbed. God bless. Went got some food, went got some tree, hung out on the corner, and then, you know, found another cab and went back into the city. You we mean, did the same thing, by the way, our first time Then we went on the West Coast. We, like, went to Oakland and then called the cab and said, take us to Vallejo. Mm. Like, take us to Vallejo. We want to go to... And then we found, 40, like, found out where 40 Studio was just had a cab take us to Vallejo. E-40? So, yeah. so Pimp so Pimp liked Lord Jamar. Loved. Yeah, why? Loved. Because like, I know Pimp didn't like a lot of people. No, nah, but it's just genuine people, people that are very genuine, right? Mm-hmm. Lord Jamal is who he is, right? And he was very open. And I don't know, man. Jamal just really kind of walked us through this New York lifestyle in a certain way. And he was he was probably who the person we least expected to embrace us. Mm-hmm. So I think we met him in front of the hotel um, on Columbus Circle, like the Radisson in front of Columbus Circle, mm-hmm. just on some random shit. And um, we ended up meeting Keith Murray as well in front of the Jive Record offices. Keith Murray actually took us to Grant's tomb back in the day. Really? Yeah. Classic. You know? And um, Pimp like uh, Keith Murray? Loved him. Genuine dude, you know? And um, Who else could you remember that Pimp loved? Like really Pimp, had a... Uh, in, in, in Branson. Really? Branson was a very good friend of Pimp's. Really? Really. See, I would never figure that. Branson was, yeah, no, nah, that was they were they were very very good friends, and every time I ever talked, I remember when Pimp was locked up, I would come up into New York every now and then, and Branson would be like, "How's your brother? How's he doing?" Tell him, you know, send him my love or whatever. Just meeting Branson was an amazing experience. Just the dynamic of who he was. So we met Branson in the nineties when Branson was still Branson. Sure, sure. You know what I'm saying? You just meet this big brolic cat, and you 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 you're in the trap, but you're not. It's like it's the calmest I've ever been. I don't even. I, I hate to refer to it as a drug spot, but but it's the calmest I've ever been. Like doing a transaction or something. Like we stayed there for hours. We sat in Branson's for like two and a half hours, and just looking at all the eight by ten glossies up in the spot. He's got a Dion Warwick signed eight by ten glossy up on the wall, and I'm like, y'all smoke the same weed Dion Warwick smoked. This is cool, you know. <laughs> but that was a, that was a really good friend of his um, in hip hop, uh, DJ Paul from Three Six Mafia. Yep, yep was a really good friend of his, Big Gip, who's like a brother that still is a brother to us. You know, you did um, Sipping on Some Scissor with 3-6 Mafia, yeah. right? And, uh, you know, I know Scissor is something so big in Houston. You know, as you're older now. It's you big every now. No, I know, I know, I, I know. It's, but it's, uh, because of the records we make, right? Like, but looking back now... Is that something that you ever say like, eh, you know, because did you fuck with scissor like that? Yeah, I, I did. I sipped it until I realized it was eating away my stomach lining, you know, mm-hmm. and then I just had to kind of to give it up on my own terms. But I mean, you're asking, do I feel a certain kind of way? Do I think maybe we were wrong in judgment? I don't know, man. It's 
you know, people make songs about, you know, you listen to rap music and somebody's getting shot probably in one out of every three songs. Sure. But that doesn't make every person go out and shoot somebody, you know? Um, people talking about selling drugs, doing all these things, I beat a bitch up or whatever. That sure. doesn't make... So I can't say that every record is influential and makes people do something. But if somebody told me they started sipping syrup because of my song, I would have to... I'd have to own that, yeah. you know? I would yeah. have to really own that. I mean, But again, we spent a long time not even saying what it was, right? When people would ask us what scissor was, we would just say, like, liquor. We're just talking about liquor. We wouldn't, like, we wouldn't dry snitch on ourselves, you know? And then um, eventually somebody said it in, like, an interview of what it actually was. And then it mm. became this thing. But, no, I remember when I was sipping scissor, my friends, you did people that still sip now to this day but weren't sipping then, you should look at me crazy. Like, mm. what are you doing? Like, that's, like what is that? Like, you, that's medicine. Nigga, who wants to get high on NyQuil? Like, kind of a thing. <laughs> I don't know. You know, just being from New York, you know, I I, I never I never tried it, but um, you know, it like, would it would it would technically maybe go against the lifestyle. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Right. It's not for everybody in the south, depending on how you move. But what's the Jolly Rancher for? Like, I hear to, I get... just to make it a little sweet and give it a little flavor. Okay. It's just like you know, like grape flavored Nyquil. You know, just they trying to make <laughs> cherry flavored Nyquil, <laughs> right? Was... They're trying to make that you know, little take it taste a little bit. I'll tell you one thing, but that's all... like a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Now, you, you, that's very popular for you, niggas. You, the first time I heard um, that song, "Sipping on Some Syrup," it was like I remember your verse was like you mentioned all these Italian guys, like <laughs> what was it, like Paulie, Paulie and Vito, Vito, and all that. I was like, what the fuck is Bun talking about? You know, but you know, even let's go back for a second, even when Pimp. You, you you spoke about no one is you know his family owned vending machines. What what did he think of you? What did you think of him the first we time didn't we like met each other? other. We really? didn't like yeah, each I remember other. you saying. Well, that. No, I mean, well, the first time we met each other was kind of us, like him trying to call me out on my shit or what he felt was my shit, right? Because I would go to I would like I said I was always a big kid, right? I've had a beard since like probably tenth grade, so I would be able to buy forties for niggas. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was able to get in clubs and shit like that at a very young... Any club that was 18 and up, I mm-hmm. could get in because I looked at least 18. And so I would go to these clubs and there would be... Every now and then, I wouldn't go a lot. Like, I probably went, like, maybe three times in my high school. But there was, you know, it was access to things that people couldn't see. And there was clubs in Houston while I'm in Houston on spring break type of situation, right? So one night there was, like, Easy e and everybody had came and it was, like, Easy e and... um. Um, like two of the guys who ended up being in like um, Above the Law and DOC and all that and they're like taking pictures you know up against the backdrop in the club with the Polaroids or whatever and so they're taking like a bunch of pictures like several pictures and so I snatched one you know just kind of like boom like stole one basically just to be honest um, I had some sticky fingers when I was younger. Just, okay, just being okay. real. Five finger discount. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm the reason why they have to, They started putting cassette tapes in the plastic with that joint, thing on with yeah, the I thing on because that was me I was beating them up but um <laughs> So I had been telling Mitch, like, yo, I was at the party. I just saw Easy e and all of them, whoop, whoop. And every time I would tell Mitch, like, yo, I just heard this new song and Ice Cube's in another group and all that, because Ice Cube originally was illegal and then he got with NW, all this stuff. And so, like, we're at the football game and I'm there, Mitch is there and Pimp is there and we're talking. I'm like, yeah, I saw Easy e And Pimp was like, yo, stop lying. You keep telling all this. You just be lying and shit. Like, don't nobody believe what you be saying and shit and then I pulled out the picture and he was like wow you know and then like Pimp had a reputation for like being a rapper and having all this equipment and Pimp's he got all this he got drum machine to keep out there man nobody got that shit who can afford drum machines sure. and keyboards sure. and 
make music in their bedroom. You know, who, who, nobody's doing that. We're in Port Arthur. It's like 40,000 people in this town. It ain't that many vending machines. Niggas ain't buying that many M&Ms, you know? And <laughs> went and met the nigga, and when the house, lo and behold, this man had all this equipment in, in the house making music. And from that point on, we ended up being closer with we, each other than our mutual friend, which kind of happens in life. Because I'm sure I met you from, with through somebody, yeah. and now I'm probably closer to yeah, you sure, than, the person, the person, yeah, yeah. than the person I met you with, you know? You know, um, isn't um, UGK, um, he was doing it with somebody else before? Yeah, that? yeah, that's the guy, Mitch. That was their mutual friend. So, And this is like, again, this is sophomore year in high school. This would have been Pimp's freshman year and his partner's sophomore year. Because his partner and I were the same class. Yeah. So that's who UGK initially was. Why do you leave Mitch and... Well, Jordan? what happened, UGK ended up joining with a group that I had at the time with a kid, Jalon Jackson. So we were the PA militia. So we joined up with with UGK and we became 4BM, the four mm-hmm. black ministers, mm-hmm. and but menace in ACE. So that became the group. And then when we started submitting demos, like like actively making music as the group, one of the songs was um, was Cocaine in the Back of the Ride, which ended up making the album. And um, there was another version of Tell Me Something Good. But I don't think Jalon was on that. I think maybe Mitch would have been on that, but I don't know if Jalon was on that. But we ended up playing some music for this guy, Russell Washington, in Flea Market in Houston. And um, he was like, I like this song. Let's tell me something. Good. I really like this. I want to fuck with y'all. So we're sitting there. We're a four-man group at this time, though. And we're all in high school. And Mitch is like, And the name of the group is Underground King? No, no. The name of the group is still 4BM. We're still 4BM, four okay. black ministers. And um, at the time, Mitch is like, look, I got, I just got a scholarship to Prairie View A&M for football. I'm going to go chase that that's going to be my dream to be an athlete you know and Jalon is a junior getting ready to be a senior he plays football he's he's like yo I need to concentrate on this football shit so I can get a scholarship like Mitch just got so eventually it just ended up being just me and pimp and so we went kind of went back to that UGK name that original Underground King name, which I always thought was a cool name. Because we didn't have a name. Who came up with that? Didn't, didn't I'm not sure who came up with it, to be honest. Who came up with the name Underground And King. even thinking of the acronym. You know what I mean? Like, UGK. Yeah. Like, I, how did, I, I, I can't say. Honestly, I can't say because that would have been a part of of something that happened between Pimp and Mitch, if I had to, if yeah. I had to guess. And what is, did Mitch ever get into uh, the NFL or... No, no, Mitch went to Prairie View University and they went one and twenty two. Fuck. He should have stayed. One and twenty they went one and twenty one in their first two two seasons of opening the expanding the football program and giving scholarships away. They won one game in two years. Shout out to Mitch. Shout out to Big um, Mitch. Well I still talk to all the time. No, definitely. You'll actually you'll actually see Mitch speaking about the early days of UGK on the new season of the Netflix rap um, hip hop evolution. Okay, okay, so really? Like a, yeah, there's a Houston episode, and then they actually came to Port Arthur. So we, I took them to Port Arthur, and show where you know we originally first started. I want to go on a break. Before I go on a break, I want to I want you to explain for the people who don't know what is it like in Port Arthur. Port Arthur is a very small um, industrial town, right? The entire the main business in town is all uh, ref, re, refineries. Um, <coughs> Spindletop, which was the largest ever, um, like, single biggest producing oil well, is, like, 20 minutes away from where Port So we're sitting on just millions and millions and millions in, in natural gas and, and oil in Texas. 
um, the Saudi group just bought like the Valero group and all the groups that drill in our area for like two billion. Wow. So that's kind of but so, but if you don't work in that industry, then you probably work in service. You're probably you know work at a hospital or work in a mall or work in retail or something like that. Work at the schools or something like that. Is it a lot of poverty? Yeah, yeah. I, I would I, I would say yeah, probably proportionate to most most rural towns in America. But successful yeah. people too out of there. A lot of people don't know. Yeah, Can no. We've had um, Janice Joplin. Mm-hmm. Um, is from Port Arthur, Texas. Um, Robert Rauschenberg, mm-hmm. um, the artist, is from Port Arthur, Texas. Uh, Bun B, recording <laughs> artist, is from, is from Port Arthur, Texas. DJ DMD, Steven Jackson, um, Landon Roberts uh, was just on the just was on the Super Bowl winning Patriots yep, team. Tat yep. um, the Babino brothers. I mean. Oh, oh, um, the running back for the Chiefs. Jamal Charles. Jamal Charles. Yeah. Yep, yep. Hey, listen, of, there's a lot, lot of, of people talent. from Port Arthur. Jerry Jones also. R- Jerry Jones? Yes. The Dallas Cowboys also? Yes. Really? When we were younger, um, when the Cowboys were winning, they used to do like a... Watch the mic, pause. Um, they used to do like a big roast every year for Jerry, like this big thing at the house. Like one hotel we got at the Holiday Inn, and literally you would have like Michael Irvin and Emmett Smith and Tari Aikman and all these guys in Port Arthur, Texas, like one day. Mm. And it'd be funny because you would hear about Irvin like going in the hood looking for dope and shit. Like <laughs> yeah, with a mink on. Crazy shit, you know. Sick guy. Hey, listen, listen. Uh get yourself you are not doing backwards anymore. What are you doing? Fanta leaves? Um I'm, I'm unfortunately I'm still a swisher. Still swisher. A swisher guy, okay, yeah. listen, into this. Get yourself a swisher. Okay, roll it up. Light it up. Um, we're can going we, to can quick... we smoke in here? Is it... uh, no, no, we may have to go to smoke room. Into this, we're taking a quick break. We're sitting here with my brother, the one and only Bum B. Queenie's in the house. Forget about it. We'll be right back. Cheers. Yep, Charlemagne the God here. The Prime Minister of pissing people off, the ruler rubbing you the wrong way, the architect of aggravation. And right now I'm with my guy, my man Premium Pete, on the Premium Pete show, okay? Internets, tune the fuck in. Peace. Internets, and we're back, sitting here with my guy, Big Bum B, the one and only. Okay, not not what was that name you said? Bumby uh, Ice. And the other one, Shadow. Shadow Storm. We're not sitting here with Shadow Storm no more. No, nah, no. Nah. Let me ask you something personally. Your favorite UGK album? Is there? Can 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 you pick one? They're all important for different reasons, right? So I can't say which one was my favorite because there's different experiences to all of them. If I had to say one was. I mean, maybe Underground Kings, the double album where, where Pimp C comes home from jail, right? Mm. Because up until then, you're not really sure what anything is going to be, right? But in that case, I already knew what was going to happen when we got back together, and, you know, started making the music again because we were actually, we actually had a higher profile after he came home from prison than before he went to prison. And the music industry had a better understanding of what it is we do after he came home from prison as opposed to before. So I already knew what was finna. Pimp comes home at the height of this H-Town takeover, right? Where, where the world wants to know everything about the lifestyle that we've been talking about for years. You know sure. what I'm saying? So, I mean, I already knew we're, we're out of here. You know, if they let us make the album that we know to make and kind of sum up everything that everybody's already been saying, right? 
um, put that exclamation on the point, uh, exclamation point at the end, so to speak. Um, and they did. And the album literally debuted number one on top of the Billboard 200s, not the Heat Seekers or hip hop R&B, like number one album in the country in any genre format. Well, um, and how did you, did you celebrate that? Did you Were you able to take a chance to congratulate each other on that or because sometimes people don't really you know they go through their victories and yeah that we got to celebrate together um we eventually ended up getting the grammy nomination and that which was something that had been a lifelong dream of his but he didn't live to see that Mm. but that was like his last his last stroke of genius was creating the song against everybody nope the song in question is Players Anthem, International Players Anthem. With Outkast. Uh-huh. And so this was a song that shouldn't have even been done, but he was so adamant about it being done. Be- Why? Did, did well, he, because did... it was... So when he was locked up, one of his favorite albums while he was locked up was a Project Pat album. Mm. And on that album was a song called I Choose You, which was basically the same beat that sure. we have for Players Anthem. So when Pimp comes home, and this is a very fun, it's a fun story to tell, Pim comes home, and we go and see, like, we're just getting back to around everybody. And so, like I said, DJ Paul is one of Pim's best friends. And so when they get back together, you know, we start talking about the Underground Mafia project, which was something that was supposed to happen before Pimp got locked up, which was Underground Kings and 3-6 Mafia mm. coming together as a group to be the Underground Mafia. So Pimp is like, man, you know what was jamming, man, was that project, that song, man, that Pat song, I Choose You. That was a hit record, man. Why y'all ain't, you know, Gofi said, well, you know, I was an independent project. We wasn't really, you know, machine or anything like that. He was like, yeah, man, but that's a hit record. Y'all need to put that motherfucker back out. You know what I'm saying? And he was like, man, you can't put the record back out. That's, you know, we got new music we we own from there. He's like, yeah, but that beat, man, that, that beat was a hit, man. That beat need to come back out. It's a hit record, you know? And he was like, man, well, you know, it's already gone. Pim was like, man, can I have it? You know, we'll pay you for it because we got a budget. You know what I'm saying? We got a nice budget when when Pimp comes home. And they're like, but you want the same beat? Pimp was like, yeah, I want that same style. If you're going to pay Pimp, because like, it wasn't a money thing, right? But we like, had a budget. We was going to get our homies paid. And he was like, man, but we can make you a fresh beat from scratch, some hard shit. Man, I, I want to rap to that beat right there. Mm. So they eventually, you know, they gave us the track. And we wrote to it and they wrote to it. And, um, but their version, their rapping never came out because the label wouldn't clear it because they were like, they were going through contract negotiations based off of 3-6 Mafia winning the awards. So they were supposed to be on, on, on the song on, as um, well. I, what is it? International um, International playing anthem. Now let me ask you, um, how did even Outkast come in? The- they heard it on samplers. Like what? they both heard it separately on... Like, you know, I, we, record companies used to put out album samplers, sure. and it was um, All-Star Game in, in uh, L.A., and they passed the samplers out, and Big Boy and, and um, Andre both got them separately and both wanted to rap on it and end up laying verses. And Did they call you or Pim? They called him? me. They both called me separately. And what did they say? It's like, I like the beat. I want to rap to it. But Big was like, I, I just want to rap to the drums so mine can stand out different. I just want to rap to the drums. And Andre was like, I like it, but I just want to rap to the to the loop. I don't want to, I don't want no drums underneath. So that's how you see Andre at the beginning, just rapping over the music. And then when Big Boy comes in, the beat drops out, and he's just kind of rapping over the beat. It was just these little touches that they kind of wanted to do, so we bookended the song with it. And because they were outcasts as a group, even though they weren't actively recording at the time, 
as a group, they were still signed to Arista, which was now under the Jive umbrella. So we don't even have to clear it because mm. mm. it's in house. Mm. All they have to do is, you know, agree to it, which they did and recorded. So now we don't have to worry about calling the record company and clearing it or none of that. Sure. So that was easy to get out. Yep. Now, now, now let me ask you something. Um, so with Outkast, you know, like they'll call you. You know, tell you they want to get on the song, but it, mm-hmm. pimp, pimp like Outkast, like did he like? Yeah, no, we were all long friends. We, you know, we'd known each other for a while because we both lived in Atlanta. So, mm. you know, um, I lived in Atlanta in '95. Pimp moved up, probably about I don't know, maybe '98, '99, something like that. I can't really remember. And so, but yeah, no, they were always good friends of ours. Pimp was extremely close with uh, Sleepy Brown from, okay. from Organized Noise Com- Production. Okay. Now, now with. Um, it's funny because you say that like Outkast gives a call, you know, but then you think about like somebody like Jay. Right. Jay calls you mm-hmm. and Pimp don't have the same reaction. Right. Well, what it was when, when Jay calls, he wants to do a record with Pimp. The first time we Jay reaches out is for, um, it was all good just a week ago. Okay. But was it a block number? Then he called you? Yeah, but that's two separate calls. Okay. So like the first time Jay Hove reaches out is for to get a verse from Pimp, but and Pimp's like, cool, Pimp had just built a studio in his new house. He was like, just come to Atlanta, come to the house, you know? And Jay's like, well, I'm not leaving New York because this is the East Coast, West Coast beef is going on. So he's like, I'm not leaving New York right now. You have to come up. And Pimp's like, shit, I'm, I'm not leaving the South right now. So, sure. so that never happened. And then Chaka, re, Chaka Zulu kind of put us back in contact. When he calls me, I don't even really know it's him. It's a block. It's a, it's a number that, like, I don't, it's an unknown number. Sure. And um, it's a voice and it just sounds like somebody, you know, somebody like, yo, what's up, this is Jay-Z. And I'm like, stop playing on my phone. You play too much, you know? And then you call back and... So I, you hung I, up. You hung yeah, up. yeah, I hung up. And then they called back. back and, it, and we realized it actually was him. And then he was like, we got this song, we want to get y'all. I remember you saying, you, I remember you telling me, you said, hey, Pimp, uh, he said, who was that? He said, Pimp, that was Jay. He said, what is it? What, what do you want? What do you want? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and 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 just like that, that's how big pimping came yeah, about from yeah. that phone call. It was it was never. I don't think on anybody's side the song was intended to be what it eventually became. Um, but you know there was I think there was mutual admiration as artists. And do you yeah, think Beyonce uh, had anything to do with that? I don't I don't know about the call because they were very young in their relationship yep. at that point. But um. Uh, I know Clark was very instrumental in introducing, yeah, yeah. Um, instrumental in like in just introducing him to that, to you know, to the to the music itself, sure. and then, um, yeah, it just ended up turning into that, and you know, Hope is still somebody I can reach out to, you know, he dropped a new joint, I told him, you know, like this is you right on time because it's kind of a frame of mind that I'm in as well, you know, as a as a person and as an artist, you know, yeah, you know, you we're speaking about Outkast, we're speaking about you know, um, UGK and Pimp and Jay-Z and, 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 and yourself and all these people. But one thing that I think I really always valued about you is not only how you've been able to diversify yourself, and I call yourself like anybody I speak to um, that knows of you or, or, or knows, you know, that we know each other, I call you a chameleon. Um, I feel like uh, you, you're, you're, you're the type of person that can hang out in the, in the gutter streets of Port Arthur or you can hang out on the, the stock exchange and high-fiving, uh, you know, uh, white boys, you know, like, like or a college dorm and fucking turn it up. High-fives are always awkward for me because people that always want a high-five don't really know how to execute. Yeah, they always miss high it. High-five, right? They, they're constantly asking for it but then absolutely miss it. It's always a 
very very awkward place I find myself in with the high fives. Well, we gotta we gotta suit the people who do connect good on a high five for sure. We don't do the low fives. <laughs> but uh, but but brings me to the point to say of how you have embraced uh, so many younger artists. Yeah. Um, I mean, we could go over so many. You know, people like a Big Crit, people like uh, a Drake. You know. Um, you know, um, we could go down the line, even uh, ASAP. I mean, yeah. I've been there and seen how much they looked up to you. I remember we came out at a show uh, where they brought you out. Uh, it was yeah. like Purple Swag, and then they did. They went into... Uh, uh, we went at Sipping on Service. Sipping on Service, yeah, like yeah. And, and, and just watching... Rest in peace to Yams. Yes. Man, that was a good kid. And even him that day. Just... That, you know, Yams, is a, Yams actually... I hadn't drank beer in like at least 15, 16. It's probably since I was 20. And Yams had the 40 and was like, oh, gee, drink the 40 with me. I'm like, Yams, I'm too old for 40 ounces and shit like that. Not for the drinking niggas backwash and shit. I'm way too old for that. And he was just, come on, OG, I ain't, I, I, well, let me drink a 40. It wasn't even about me drink. come on, man, let me drink a 40 with the OG. And I'm like, all right, cool. You know, it was very small things like that made that kid so happy. Yeah, I remember I remember all those kids. Like, he you was, know, yeah, such Rocky and, and. Such reverence, you know, for, for what we were doing, man. And, and. Like wanted to, he just wanted his team to be original. He wanted his team to do something that wasn't done and was unexpected, and to stand out, kind of how like we stood out in the game. He had he had very, very pure intentions for his team, and that's why they still, the movement that they helped to create still lives on in his honor, and they honor him in a real way too, like in a friend way, not like as an artist to capitalize anything, but just as a friend way. How were you introduced to ASAP? Through Chase. Okay. Through Chase Infinite, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good dude, man. He's done a lot of great things with them, you know, especially with Rocky. He's been a great mentor to them, right? Yeah. He's, he's he's a good balance to the lifestyle, you know, and then he's very centered. But they want to they, they wanna know shit, right? Like when you meet those dudes, they, they want to know shit. Like put me up on the game, give me the game, let me know what's good, you know. And so they've been extremely receptive to what he's been putting out to them. And I think you can see his energy reflect in what they do and how they move. Sure. How did uh, the Kodak Black uh, collab come about? That came just from like, you know, that, I remember just, you know we get people reaching out wanting verses and features mm-hmm. all the time. And so I remember Bone hitting me like, yo, Kodak Black want to do a song with you, which I didn't really, I didn't see how he was a fan, but I don't, I don't necessarily know exactly where my music impacts people, you mm-hmm. know? And so I ended up talking to him and, you know, I like the kids, you know, he got a lot of, you know, a lot of energy, you know? A lot of energy, and then um, I realized he was associated with Fat Boy, um, a good friend of mine who used to work under Khaled. You know, so it's part of this whole Miami, Florida movement where they kind of, you know, everybody's working with everybody who's trying to make, you know, make it pop. And um, they were like, yo, we got this record, but, like, we can't. It's not like we need you on this record. It was like, if we don't do this record with you, then we probably won't even do this mm, record. Mm. And um, like to the point where they had like two different versions of the beat, like his one regular speed, his one double time, like however we want, however you want to do it. They just really wanted me to be a part of the project. And um, I was like, sure, man, you know, and he sent it to me. And I was like, this is this is not a bad song. You know, it's not me. It's not me trying to have to do what he's doing or him doing what I do. This is a nice little um, mutual area that we can meet at. 
And as long as he's talking about how he do it, and I talk about how I do it, and nobody trying to be nobody else, he's not trying to act like he's from Houston. I'm not trying to act like I'm from Miami. He's not trying to act OG. I'm not trying to act like a youngster. It works. It wasn't forced. You know what I'm saying? It was a natural song, a nice groove. Nobody had to get out of their element sure, to sure. do their thing. And that's why it worked. You yeah. know, that's why it worked. Do you feel like your fan base has grown with you over the years? I know my fan base has mm, grown with mm. me. Talk I, about I, it. I do my shows now, and, like, I used to be like, yo, we ready to get fucked up tonight. It's going down. And now I'd be like, yo, ain't it crazy? We ain't got to watch no kids tonight. We ain't home with no kids. They go crazy. <laughs> they go crazy for that shit because that's our reality now. Like, don't it feel good to get out the house type of shit? We're going to have a good time tonight, just us, on some old folks shit. But, but the cool thing about it is if they may work. If you need work, drop it. You know? they, they may have grown old with you, mm-hmm. but the younger generation still looks at you. I consider you, and I've said it before, as like an uncle in yeah. hip-hop. Well, because I've made myself accessible, right? Like, I live in a city that has, for years, been starved of out-of-town talent, right? Like, we were never, Houston was never really on major tour schedules. We never had a lot of venues for it, you know what I'm saying? And now we have a House of Blues, we have Warehouse Live, we have White Oak Music Hall, all these different places that people can perform music at. And so we get a lot of tours now. And even with, like, Sasha with Scoremore, you know, Mm -hmm. um, who was, like, very instrumental in bringing a lot of young uh, talent now who was big talent, like Kendrick and J. Cole and Rocky and all these people to to Dallas and Houston and Austin, like all the hot young talent was being brought to Texas on this three-city run. You know what I'm saying? Everybody. Uh, I remember Wiz Khalifa um, when he had just sampled the EDM record. You know what I'm saying? He was just a kid with a bunch of tattoos, you know, wanted to know where the weed was. And now he's, you know, he's got literally has the number two most viewed video on YouTube, like 2.7 billion views type of shit. And it was just amazing to watch all this young talent come through and then see him pop. You know what I'm saying? So for me, I would just show up just so I could kind of be like, you know, I was there when it all started, you know? Mm. And it's interesting. Different people are connecting with kids in different ways, right? Like you have J. Cole, J. Cole, who's a little bit more mature, right? And you have, you know, a chance that's just like, there's reservation, but then there's energy. You have somebody like Travis that's like almost all energy. It's all hyperkinetic. And, um, He's from Houston. Yeah, yeah. Have you got a chance to uh, talk to him or lend him some guidance? Yeah, yeah. I, I've tried. Uh, uh, the person that really was able to give him a lot of guidance was the homie Big Tony. Big Tony was one of the true gladiators that just passed away. And um, he was like a mentor to a lot of young talent. You know, Tony's Tony was a security guy, and um, that was his thing. Like, work, He was working with a lot of young talent and trying to keep him focused and keep him. So he worked with Dave's Loaf a lot, you know what I'm saying, and worked with Travis a lot. And that's why these young artists kind of were able to maneuver through those first years, those first stages of being really famous really fast because they have someone that's not just concerned about them physically but also about them mentally and just making sure that they're moving right through these spaces because Dave had a situation where she switched management and it was it was a lot on her and the dudes was talking kind of crazy and reckless about what they was going to do. So just trying to not only protect her from that, but then also making sure that she feels she's in a safe space to mentally still create art, still go out and do what she needs to do. He was really good at that, you know? Yeah. Rest in peace, man, to Big Tone, man. For sure. You know, um, even when you look at somebody like Drake, you know, he loves Houston. Right. right? But obviously, you know, he definitely has so much love for you. I mean, I've seen it. They called me up when my son was born, okay? You didn't know this. I mean, you know now. Okay. But no, you you knew then too. But I mean, they called me up when my son was born. They called me up like, yo, we're trying to, we want to fly you out to Houston. 
They were trying to put together, uh, you know, um, Drake is doing um, a Bum B, tri- uh, you know, celebration for HAW. Which was crazy. Right. Yeah, so, was... They, so, so, so they brought out me, uh, your publicist, uh, a friend of ours, Roberta right. McGreeny. Right. They brought out Jeff Sledge. They brought out your fucking, uh, your high school teacher. Um, high school English teacher. English Mr. teacher. Ag- Mr. Agnew. Mr. Ag- Listen, okay. Which, I mean, blew my mind, right? Because I had talked about him before. And um, just the fact that some, like, I had talked, they'd asked me in Texas Monthly, which I can't think of this lady's name, but I mean, just an amazing writer. She had no frame of reference on hip-hop, no frame of reference on me, and Texas Monthly's like, we need you to do this story on Bun B. And so she just, you know, in the, in the midst of interviewing me, she asked me um, all these people that, you know, who did, you know, who was influential in my life, and I told her different stories about different people, and Mr. Agnew was one of the people I told the story about. And I don't know how, but this woman found this guy, right? And called him. was like, yo, I'm, I'm doing an interview on this recording artist, Bun B. Do you know who he is? He was like, mm, no, I don't know who you're talking about. I was like, well, his name's Bernard Freeman. He was a student of yours. He was like, okay, yeah, I remember Bernard. I definitely <laughs> remember Bernard. It's like, so actually Bernard's a recording artist, Grammy nominated, so millions of records. Well, what about, does that surprise you? He was like, actually, no, not at all. Mm, mm. You know? Like, just the fact that he could remember me and then even... And then when people are telling him I'm successful, he's like, "That makes sense," you know. You know? And, you, and he, but I, they had to also tell him that I, like, literally was saying that. And then I don't know how they found her, but then they went Drake and them found her, and then found him and flew him down. Bro, when they picked me up at the hotel, I get in this fucking Escalade. There's this fucking white guy. See, this is all fucking, I don't know anything about wh- any of this. There's right? this white guy in the back, and I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? You know, he's like, yeah, I'm here for Bunby. I'm like, I mean, Bernard. He said, I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? So I'm asking. So I, I get out of the truck, and and I called Roberta and Red. And I'm like, yo, who's this white guy? Um, you know, in in the back seat with me. Really? Yeah. And then this is fucking hilarious. And then, right and, now. <laughs> and, he's, and then finally they told me. I said, yo, that's Bun High School teacher. So I got. <laughs> yeah, so we went there and we started drinking. Anyway, to make a long story short, just to let you know, and I want you to go into this, just for let the people know, Drake literally walked before you came, walked around, okay, and made sure everything was done correctly. They had a big coloring wall with, uh, you know, him and Pimp right. and you. Uh, I mean, just made sure everybody was okay. I haven't seen him in a minute, and, right. uh, you know, we chopped it up. But the point I'm making is... That brings No, no, just... just, just Took his sweet time and dedication to make sure that there was a special event. Yo, the mayor came out. Who else was there? Uh, 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 this comedian. What's his name? Uh, oh, Hannibal Burris. Hannibal Boris was there, bro. That like all my for like they told them like all my like bring Hannibal. He loves Hannibal. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it was just amazing. Bro, they brought they brought um the mayor and I went up to the mayor and I, and I really thanked her That's for. Just- for, no, no, I, this, I, is, this is heavy. Right no, now. no, I really thanked her for just being. I mean, she, they gave you Bun B Day. Yeah, um, this, it was just a very emotional day. Like family, friends, everybody that I cared about mm-hmm. was literally in one room. Yeah, it was a special Crazy. night, you know. But so, so <laughs> instead of going off, I want to. How did you even get introduced to Drake? That this guy loves you that much to do that type of thing. So I'm glad we're going to something fun, right? Because this was kind of heavy for a minute. But no, it was um, Jazz Prince, Jay Prince's son. Mm. Um, I was in the studio. I was recording at the time. So I'm in the studio every day at this point, right? I'm going to Corey Mo on the north side every day, recording, recording, recording. And he's like, yo, I got this artist I'm working with. Rain, Wayne likes him. Wayne, I think Wayne's going to sign him. And we need a verse from you, Unc. We need a verse. I'm like, all right, cool. 
So they sending me the record. I'm like, this is not a bad record. And so I'm like, I'm gonna get to it, but I'm in the zone, I'm on my album, I'm I'm trying to knock my shit out. So like, Unc, we need this verse, we really need this verse, man. I'm like, I got you, nephew, I got you. So I go to the studio and it's one of those days where I'm on a I'm 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 pretty productive. Like I'm I'm usually gonna do about two, three songs a session if I go in, probably book about five hours. I try to get like three songs done, something like that. This is one of those days where it was just just shit was just pouring, pouring, pouring. And I'm like, yo, this was like we killed it today. And I'm like, I'm done. We we I'm done for the weekend. We 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 out of here. So I'm getting ready to leave and my phone rings and it's jazz like, Unc, I need this verse. I'm like, nephew, I just finished. I'm like, I get it to you and like, Unc, I need it tonight. We're getting ready to put this mixtape out. You know, and, and that I'm was like, so far gone. Yeah, yeah. And so he's like, <clears throat> I really need this, Unc. And I said, fuck it. And I turned around, I went back in, I laid my verse, and I sent it, I sent it off to him. The mixtape comes out. I think they pushed it back. It was initially supposed to come out like maybe two or three days after that. I think it took like five days for them to really get everything from everybody that they need and they put it out and then he does the show in New York. SOBs. No, 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 not yet. Not okay. there. First he does a college. Okay, okay. He does a college in New York and then he does a college in Atlanta and the videos start going viral because the girls are singing every song. Like all the the crowds are like ninety five percent girls, young college girls. They're screaming at this kid. They're singing every word, song for song. Like it's amazing. Within like forty eight hours of the album actually coming out, so Houston's the third show. So I see the first show in New York. The next day, the video YouTube goes up, crazy you know response. I'm telling my wife, yo, this this kid's the kid I did the song with. Look at these little girls are going crazy. The second day, I'm like, yo, Queen, look at this. This is him in Atlanta. They're going fucking bananas. So he comes to Houston. I convince her to come to the show. She convinces a couple of her friends, you know, ESG's wife, um, who was Bandit's girlfriend, who's now his his wife now, Corey. And they go, and they stand in, like, the pit, right? So because the crowd is kind of, the crowd is crazy. And... The stage is kind of crazy. Rapalot's protecting everything. And she doesn't like when Rapalot gets like that because it gets kind of, you know, everybody sure. locked in. So they go in the pit, right, between the, well, the photographers would go, right? And it's like he's, they're being serenaded by this dude. Like, it's it's amazing, right? And it's funny because each one of these women, none of, there's three women, and then neither one of them are the age group of the audience or each other. So they're all different ages, right? They've all got like a couple of years, like my wife is a few years older than her friend, who's a few years older than Corey, who's sure. a few years older than the majority <laughs> of the people in the crowd. And they're all just enamored and in awe of this young man singing these songs, rapping these songs, like to them. And I'm looking at my wife, like, and it's like when the cartoon, when the wolf gets the red, the love, like when the animal gets the heart, it's in their eyes, you know? Not sexual, just, oh my God, this is so beautiful. Like, this is amazing. He's such a handsome guy, and these songs are so nice. And it's just, it's just amazing to just kind of watch that happen. And I'm, and I'm seeing it from the first two shows, like, it's growing. And then mm-hmm. I get to Houston, it's even bigger. And I'm like, this kid's on what we now call a wave. You know, but you, but is, you didn't, you didn't meet him on. yet. That was the first time I had seen him. And now you hear it on the song, backstage, he says it on one of the songs, like backstage at Warehouse Live, like it's bun coming. Yeah. Because we've already re- recorded the song 
and but he's never met me. You know what I'm saying? And he's hoping I he gets to meet me and maybe we can actually do the song together. And uh, yeah, from that point on, it's been like a a friendship that turned into like what well, we have, like a brotherhood. He's, sure, you know he's he's, well, a, he's an amazing. What was the first brother. thing he uh, said to you when he uh, met you? Um, met me? Um, thank you. Mm. You know, like it, thank you. So he's because he's Canadian, yeah, yeah. And um, you know, so he's very as most Canadians are extremely gracious, right? Very polite, very well mannered, you know. And uh, that was pretty much the first thing I, I I would imagine that I can remember him saying to me was thank you so much like for this and you know and he was very very much reserved back then right because this was all happening extremely fast. fast right yeah. and he wasn't really sure who to trust or what you know what I'm saying so for me you know it was like somebody that you know like I know I can go to you you know sure if, whenever I can't kind of figure some of this shit out like. I just want to make sure I keep an open line of communication with you so that if something doesn't feel right or smell right, just so I can have somebody to bounce some of this shit off of. And it's been a good thing to be able to be that to him. But it's, I haven't had to be that for a while because he's got it now. You yeah. know, we just kind of just talk as friends and he'll ask about the wife and, you know, birthdays. He'll call and reach out or if he's in town, he'll stop by yeah. for birthdays. And Queen will, you know, if, if he has time, Queen will cook something come by the house queen what do you wish was queen cook from they want the fried chicken okay, they want the fried, fried chicken, chicken and the red beans and rice okay they want soul food when they come okay okay hey listen you know um it's been amazing to see you embrace drake like that and him embrace you i mean like i said yeah. we just explained that let's go to uh somebody else somebody like big crit mm. um what's your relationship like with him He's, again this is another little brother we've got it's very few people i think now in my life that i'm closer to than big crit because of how much time we spent together making this music and actually genuinely caring about each other as people and me not being afraid to, you know, because I'm making very personal music, right? Right now, you mean? Yeah, yeah, for for the new album. I'm making very personal music, so he's like the person in the room where I'm like, all right, well, this is what I'm going to talk about. You know what I'm saying? And then we, we record the song, and then we talk about these things in real time as well. And... A lot of the things that affect me affect him. A lot of the way I feel about things he feels about. And a lot of the shit, daily struggles that most people go through, myself included, he goes through, you know. And we're all just trying to figure this shit out, you know. And it's good to have other people that you can go to and, and be honest and open about not having this shit figured out and not, you know, feel like it's, you're, you could potentially be compromised, right? Um, vulnerability is key for human progression, right? We have to allow ourselves to be vulnerable in order to commune and meet with other people who are vulnerable in our way so that we can walk through those moments of vulnerability together to get to a stronger sense of self. And so, but you can't do that by yourself, living in your mind by yourself, trying to figure it out by yourself, trying to cope by yourself, right? So that's, kind of been what we've been able to be to each other. Hawaii Mike is another guy mm -hmm. that's been able to be that for me. Pastor John Gray is mm -hmm. another person that's been able to be that for me. And I've been blessed to be able to be that for them in a way sure. too, you sure. know? And um, the only way we help ourselves is by helping each other, sure. you know? And so that's a big part of the, the shit that I'm trying to, to get people to understand, you know what I'm saying? Because everybody's dealing with shit late night by themselves and, you know, feel so alone and so um, out of touch with things and, like, I don't know how this shit is really going to work 
everybody has that night, you know? Um, bad thoughts lead to bad nightmare, you know, bad dreams, nightmares, whatever you want to call them. It's just this very ugly cycle of not being able to rest and you're constantly worried and stressing about this one thing and then you're trying to figure out how to hide not only the thing that you're stressing them about, but the stress that comes from it, right? So you can present yourself in an image that's, you know, people aren't going to look at you and worry and try to ask questions and dig too deeply into your life. We got to get over that kind of shit, you know? Because, sure. um, like, I don't even talk to you about being depressed or yeah. having anxiety. And I talk to you about almost everything that happens in my life. But there's certain things that I just, I didn't know if I needed that to be part of the conversation with them. Not because I don't trust you. Or anything like that, or I, you know, I love you. You're a brother of mine. We Likewise. talk about we talk about a lot of stuff, real family shit, real shit. But this that was one of the things that I didn't even realize in the moment that I was dealing with, and then, you know, just based on the people that I'm coming to these levels of awareness with, while I'm having these moments of awareness, that's kind of where a deeper bond comes in, and then so I just want that to be a conversation that other people can have with someone other artists can have with someone. I'm not telling everybody to come and talk to me. Find somebody that you can talk to and that you can be vulnerable with and open and honest about how everything isn't okay all the time and some days are 70-30 and some days are 50-50 and some days are 20-10, I mean 20-80, you know, or 10-90 and that it's okay because everybody has those days and you don't have to feel alone in those moments, man. Do you think people are afraid, especially in hip-hop, to... Talk about issues. Yeah, look at the afraid. look at the Sopranos. Yeah, just for example, look at how look at the depths that Tony went to to hide the therapy. Yeah, to get help. You know, not just to get help, but to hide the therapy. Sure, sure. Right, because he felt like that would have been the biggest, the worst thing he could have exposed which, to people, right? And as soon as they found out Tony was getting therapy, right? Mm. The fuck is he talking to you about? Yeah. And what the fuck is wrong with him in the yeah. head, yeah. right? And they were thinking about you know, almost. He, like, and, yeah. and it's really and it's really not about what are they talking about. It's more what are they telling you about me? Yeah. Right. So at the same time, I'm trying to be open and honest about shit. Right. But I can't put other people's business out there and I can't expose their shit. Right. But I'm tr- as, and the, at the moment of trying to explain everything, I'm fucked up because of this. I did this to this person or this person did this to me. But then you got to be careful about putting other people's shit out there because maybe they're not ready to deal with that. Mm. Right. So you just have to, you know, take as much of what your experience of the moment is, not the, you know, <clears throat> not the entire situation that everybody is involved but what 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 you're dealing with because of that situation sure but um it's good to see that crit is uh been there for you i remember one time he's saying something that he reminds you of i don't know if he said pimp or i don't know i mean he reminds me of of me and pimp he reminds me a bit of andre i see a little big boy i see a lot of of where his influence comes from you know what i'm saying he reminds me of pimp in the fact of how melodic he is and how deep of a student he is of music and music theory right so it's not just about trying to find a a, a nice loop or something he understands in music he wants to be you know a producer not just a guy that makes beats he aspires to contribute as much as possible to the culture right mm-hmm. not just the industry we all contribute to the industry but we don't all necessarily contribute to the culture yeah. you know so there's a conscious effort to do that been in this game twenty plus years. This is a, you collab 20, collab with so many different people. Twenty five years is twenty five. Fucking them. Is there somebody that you always wanted to work with who you haven't worked with yet? Yeah, the only it's, it's Dre, Doctor Dre. Yeah, that's it. Mm. That's I mean I mean that's obviously the that's the tip of the 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 pyramid, right? That's the top mm. of the totem pole, mm. right? So 
And that, that means that I've gotten what I guess what to the second second to the I've gotten as as high up as you can get, right? The only higher I could possibly get is to stand next to the people at the top. So I think that's that's a pretty good career, right? If you know, if I only got to the to the second tier and there's a hundred tiers, I think I did pretty good. Yeah, I mean, listen, from a group UGK to even yourself, even your solo projects, if you think you ever feel like you're underrated as an artist, and the reason no. why I say that for the reason why I say that for is because you can look at your albums that you drop; they could be considered classics. I mean, one of them got a five uh, five mic yeah. from UGK or mm-hmm. a solo artist. You know, you think about it, like you know, it's 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 hard to move from a group. It's, it's to funny a, because we were actually when Ego Trip did a book of rap list, Elliot and the, the guy mm-hmm. they did a book of rap Chess list. Elliot. And um, <clears throat> we were the number one most under, they voted UGK the number one most underrated group in hip hop. Mm. But when I talk to my peers and I'm around my fan base, I've never felt underrated or underappreciated, right? Like artists go out of their way to let me know how much of an influence I've been able to be to them. And it's been a blessing mm. to have that in my life. You know, because guys don't have to do that. And we're talking about some of the biggest artists ever, right? Saying like, yeah, man, you, you know, listening to y'all and what y'all were talking about was a big deal. What's somebody, who's somebody that, that said something to you that made you feel like, damn, man, you know, I'm out here moving. Because sometimes you get solidified by, not solidified, but meaning like, you're like, damn, man, like, you know, that's dope. Like, you know, like. Uh, I think. I think Little Wayne once said in the interview that like that I like showed him how to really how to be a lyricist. Mm. And I guess there's room for that, you know? I mean, I'm just seeing very raw, very young talent and just trying to make sure that the people that are around that talent give it the room to breathe and shape and form. So I had a really very strong and still have a very strong relationship. With baby, so in the you know fuck again, again, again. No, because then I thought of something. Calm down. No, but so baby, that was one thing. He came to me. He was like, "Bro, this little dude is cold with it, bro. How do I keep him cold? Like, how do I keep him in the frame of mind and getting better and better?" And I won't say what I told him because I can't. I don't want to just give away the formula. But every artist needs an environment that they can grow in, and it was just about. Letting him know if you want him to be this, then he needs to be able to do this, this, and this, and it all needs to be centered around this. Sure. And um, and so that was something that, and he was so young at the time, right? He was like 15 years old, so I don't know how much, I didn't know how much of those early days he remembered, but when it came back to people like, you know, not just who do you credit as a great rapper, but when you look back at and and you know how you get to True. where you are like that was one of the things that he was like you know Bumby was really there like trying to help me you know to be a lyricist speaking of cash money okay Bumby almost signed to cash money this is true. Bumby almost signed to a lot of people. I no, but off. Cash Money, how the fuck did that happen? Well, Cash, well, because I was, first of all, people don't probably don't remember this, but before the Universal deal, um, I was one of the only artists that wasn't signed to Cash Money that was on the projects. Mm-hmm. And even with the big timers, like, big timers, as a, the first inception of the big timers was, was Manny and Baby, and, and they were wanting me to be in the big timers as well because... You know, I'd spend a lot of time with those dudes. I, I would spend weeks with them in New Orleans and just watch them 
you know, I remember, you know, when they met Manny. I, the same night I met them was when they met Manny Fresh as far as talking business. And I remember when we went to the show, we had the show there, the show somewhere, and Juvenile was there, and they talked to Juvenile about coming on the team and his first record with Miss T. And then back when, like, you know, Wayne and, and BG were, like, you know, 12 and 13, 14 years old, and they were the BGs, and then ended up, the BGs ended up, partnering with Juvenile and then Turk, who was a relative, and then that became, um, I mean, BG was a relative, and then Turk coming in and becoming the hot boys and watching all this shit happen and the million-dollar deals and these huge mansions and all this shit, man. Cars and... Crazy, man. This shit was crazy. Juvenile had every yellow fucking car, yellow fucking PT, yellow Lamborghini, yellow fucking... Everything. But a yellow, everything, that wasn't even their car in high. Everybody thought that was their Ferrari and how that wasn't no. Ferrari and how that was um this kid from um, that was who used to be with Biz that was his Ferrari. So the baby so the baby want to sign you or, or mm-hmm. how did that not happen? How that wind up not Cause happening? Because Pimp had always said and you know Pimp, they, the first people to ever sign us was Rap a lot. One that ever wanted to sign us um as a group was Rap a lot from take us away from the independent label we were from. And you know Pimp was really forward thinking on this. He was like if we go to Rap a lot they got to do Ghetto Boys, then Scarface, then Convicts, and then there's all these groups, and then sure. they get to us. So we'll be number eight on that list. And if we go over here, they got to get to this person, that person, that person. We don't we don't want, first of all, you don't want to work for your friends. That's never good. And then two, we should just be working to be like them so we could be number one on our roster as opposed to fighting for position on somebody else's roster. So we didn't want to get out of one bad deal to get into another one, you know. And it was funny because I was, you know, I was propositioned by every record company you could think of, particularly the black-owned companies, when Pimp got locked up, you know, because Jive was ready to kind of cut ties sure. at that point. They did, they turned down my solo album. There was a clause why, in my... Why, why did they turn that They down? didn't believe in me as an artist. They were okay. like, Pimp was the genius behind UGK because he did the music. He was kind of the identity in their eyes, and they thought I was just, you know, just a rapper over there. So they had no faith in me as a solo artist. How hard was that when he passed away for you to become a solo artist? Like, meaning, like, people see you, they see you out here, you're doing things, but but personally, those days, take us through that time where, like, did you ever think about not doing this shit? Yeah, I mean, we, there were times during the career while he was locked up, a lot of, you know, self-doubt, you know, about mm-hmm. these kind of things, and self-doubt turns into self-pity, mm-hmm. right? So you got to be careful with that, and, and if you're not, you know, if you don't have a good solid base, spiritually and mentally then it's very easy to lose lose sense of self and to lose track of where you need to be and misprioritize and all those things and the other side of it is trying not to take on more than you need to mm. right initially trying to every time somebody says something bad about Pimp C trying to you know go out go all out on sure, it sure. and trying to you know spend every waking moment of every day you know trying to to do honor to something you know and it, it becomes very stressful and daunting for you as an individual. And, uh, yeah, there were definitely days, I could tell you, man, where I, I hit very, very low points in my life, some of the lowest points ever, you know, especially emotionally and spiritually, you know? Yeah. What's the most important thing you think you learned from Pimp's life? Just and his to presence. Live, to live life. Yeah. More than anything, to live life, right? Because you have no idea when, when you're going to go, right? You literally have no idea when you're going to go. And so you have to appreciate everything that's available to you and you have to love everyone that's around you and you have to tell them that and you have to take advantage 
of those moments that can be great for you. You know what I'm saying? And stop worrying about what'll happen and what the, you know. And I'm not talking about if you fuck over somebody, right? But if you just to take time to, to just back up from everything and everyone else and just start living life and like, you know what? I'm not finna do this right now. I'm finna, you know, I'm Justin Bieber. I don't want to go on tour anymore. I need my life back. I want my life back. You know, that's that kind of shit is important. And anybody that questions you during moments of, of trying to take your life back is only mad because they had a part of your life and now they realize they're not going to have it anymore, you know? Yeah. Have you accomplished everything uh, that you want? Not you even know? close. Okay. Not What's left close. to do? Um, I, I think that, you know, there's a lot left to be said. I think I know more than I've been able to get out, right? There's a lot of information that I was re- I was restricting myself to only giving to people, like, in an interview or in a song, right? So now I do. I try to do a lot more panels. I try to do a lot more discussions. I'm trying to do a lot more public speaking. I'm trying to have a lot more conversations, with people but I don't think that the best thing about me is going to be like a rap song right I think that you know being able to teach at Rice University and perform with the so you're a professor then yeah and perform with the Houston Symphony for the 100th anniversary of the <clears throat> ADL yep. things like that right There's those are the kind of moments that I'm looking for Bun B Day Bun B Day you know what day mo- is that August 30th look at that the mayor, the mayor, what was that mayor's name? Andy Sparker. And man, she, you know, that was one of the trillest. Uh, yeah, America's first openly gay mayor of a major metropolitan you know, she city. Was, she was a sweetheart. She's very good. I actually went, she's she's um, she's teaching at Harvard in the Kennedy um, Law Center, so she brought me up to speak to her class after doing the Vice stuff to talk about politics. And stuff. She's, she's just, dope. You know, speaking it's an of, amazing space. Speaking of trill, um, didn't somebody buy that like a young kid didn't he buy like the copyright and i think like he gave it to you, all he wanted was like yeah an so there was a kid in the i want to say the bay area or something there was a kid many years ago that had bought the rights to trill right mm-hmm. because it was he he basically saw all these different hip-hop terms right that people were trying to pick up and so he had fans like he was a fan of e40 he was a fan of mine so he was going out and getting these intellectual properties and then offering them to the artist for free. Didn't want anything for it. Kid just literally was like, like, I own Trill. Like, I know you know this I don't want you, I know you may be upset about it, but I own I only reason I bought the rights to it was so that you guys could have it. Like I bought it to give it to you. I don't want to sell it to you. I want to give it to you. I just would like to meet you. You know what I'm saying? And talk to you and then give you stuff. So you know, I don't know if you remember, we were at South by Southwest on the street. And I parked on the street and hopped out and just met this kid in the middle of South by Southwest. And uh, kid shook my hand, handed me the envelope with the paperwork, right? Signed it <laughs> over to me, like, on the streets of Austin. I think it was on 5th Street, like, right by I-10. And um, signed over the rights to it, man. It was, like, and I didn't even understand the, you know, intellectual properties and all of that kind of stuff. But then we once we got that, we went and got the UGK. We went and got Underground Kings and all of that kind of stuff. So, you know... For, and early on, we were very upset about people using the term from because my thing is there's one thing between young people rapping about it and want to be associated with it, and there's another thing from an older individual that knows the history, right? Like if you're 25, then you probably don't know where that word came from. But if you're 35, you might know where that word came from. And if you're 45, you goddamn well know where that word came from. So 
younger people that were like from the city, like we the Trill City guys, you know, young kids from the city. They just they didn't really know much about the word. They didn't know the history of the word. I had to tell them about it, and then like you know they were like upset, like yo, you fronting us for using this and that. And I'm like, no, I'm just trying to help you understand this. And literally, maybe six months later, one of their designs got taken by like Hudson or Forever Twenty One, and then they call me like, yo, how do we? Stop this kind of stuff. And it's just this whole life of the cease and desist. And we've had people that have bastardized it and we're trying to rectify that situation. But the best way to stop people from monetizing your brand is to make sure that you're monetizing it. Sure. And that was what was so crazy about it, I think, for us is because of the fact that we didn't ever try to make money off and exploit it. And then to see other people doing it and exploiting it and making money and not even trying to acknowledge where it came from just was, it was too much. Yeah. You know? I mean, I mean, look what they did to YOLO. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Like, so it's just a matter of re reappropriating everything and rebranding. And now we have different merchandise, like what I'm wearing right now to make America Trill again. You know, shout out to Southside Collection. Um, you know, that's where you can get it at, southsidecollection.com. And, and, um, and you know it's it's just about like I said reappropriating and reprioritizing you know. And let's get back to uh, what's next for you. You said um, you yeah, know got the EP coming out. EP's coming. What's Probably, the name of it? Name of it is make. We we were going to call it EP. We just had like a placeholder because we didn't really know what to call it. So we just we're calling it like EP extended play. But now I think I think America, make America trill again is is probably going to be the name of this project because that's really what I'm trying to do. That's the that's the 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 end game for all of this, right? And when is it dropping? Um, that's the crazy thing, which I, I kept putting myself to a date, to a date, September 1st, September 1st, September 1st. And then now I'm just like trying not to, to live like that. Like we're in an age now that if you give people a couple of weeks heads up, sure. you they'll know, be for they'll it. be looking for it. You Any know? features? So, um, on this one, yes. On the album that's going to come at the top of the year, Bernard, that's going to be my solo album. Probably won't have many rap features, if any at all. Yeah. But on this one, yeah, I've definitely got some features. You got Slim Thug. Got Kiki. Uh, I'm working on getting this song with Killer Kalyon on it. Um, a couple of other songs because uh, I don't really know what's all going to go on. Like as of today, I know that we're going to do seven, eight songs. I couldn't really tell you all seven or eight because we're still doing music. We're still constantly recording. I just did two new songs in uh, Canada. One featuring this new kid, Free Ye, who's really good. And um, <clears throat> so we're like right now we have fifty songs, and we know they're not God all going to go. Yeah, we know they're not going to go all on the album. So Queenie was like, "Look, you got all these songs. You can't put them all on the album. You got these features. You're not really going to put a bunch of features on the album. So just throw something out right quick. Let people know you're coming. You know, don't you don't have to stress over that one project. Just put something out there now. It'll relieve the stress because you'll have music out. You'll get some feedback. You'll know if that you're going in the right direction, and you can more fine tune the album now because you have less songs to pick from anyway. So you know, I said this before." To a couple of artists, uh, some were friends, some weren't. Um, but you know, there's no four hundred one k. I mean, you you can make your own, but there's no four hundred one k. There's no. no retirement, no pension plan for a fucking rapper. What they do do is make tracks and make tracks and make tracks. Right. And what that is, that's your will, right? Because with that, I mean, you look at it. Look at somebody like Bernard that Price, Sean Price's wife. Rest in peace, Sean P. Um, you know, she was able to make an album, Perius Rex, mm-hmm. and and drop that because of the songs he made. You know, so the more songs you make, you're literally leaving a will. I don't know if you ever thought of no, it. No, like no, it's a, I, it's. And she'll tell you we hate, she hates to really talk about, it, but it's a conscious effort, right, to make sure that there's extra music because my wife can't create what sure. I've created, right, to to pay the bills, and I don't, 
I don't want how that to be a worry. But the other side of that, Pete, is that we can't just make the music. We have to educate the family on the finances. We have to educate the family sure. on publishing and royalty rates and all of this kind of stuff so that they know what we're leaving them is worth, right? And that's why most families fight over what's left either because they, they know, don't know they don't know what's they don't know the value of it, right? They think everything's worth a bunch of money. Right. When you leave songs around, they think this shit is worth more than maybe it is. Or and maybe they don't know the difference between <clears throat> doing an EP and an album really only, you know, you know, you're going to add eight, ten more songs and only make two more dollars. You know what I'm saying? So just being smart, not only about having music, but also what they need to do with the music. Should I be gone? Who they can trust to guide them through this when I'm gone, all these things. And so my wife comes to the meetings. I don't hide money from my wife. I don't hide business deals. My wife knows what we make. She knows what we got. That's important. She needs to know that because so many people die and then families realize they don't have what they thought they had, you know? Or or, or they don't get a chance to tell them that there's money in the wall. You know what right. I mean? Like, or, or, just, or they hit There's something look, over there. Look like at Tony. With, with Queen, like with Queenie, a big thing for me is letting her know which of these sneakers have value. Exactly. So that somebody doesn't come in and get all the good shit for and try to give Cause her because both, both of you are hoarders. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, now, you know, even you look at like Tony Soprano, he hid all that money in the fucking. Who, who knows? Who if even any, knows? Who knows if anybody got it? You know, you think about this. You remember that money you used to put yeah. with the bird seeds, and it's crazy. Anyway, um, murder. People consider murder mm-hmm. um, one of your best, best verses. Verses. That's that's where fair. the fuck were you when it happened, and how did you even? Did you know that that was like? So for years, Pimp had been telling people Bumby's the best rapper ever. Nobody can beat Bumby. I got $100,000 cash anytime anybody want to battle him anywhere. And my problem was that we didn't have any music that reflected that, right? All of our music was, you know, songs with content, stories, and, you know, specific messages being delivered. Nothing was really just an exercise in lyricism, right? That wasn't necessarily what we did. Um, so I told him, I'm like, yo, eventually you got to, you telling everybody I can rap, nigga. You eventually you have to make me a record that shows people I can rap. So murder became that record. Um, so when that we did the song, I had been, I went out like the night before. So I was fucked up when we did murder. So, Drinking? um, might've been syrup and shit to it that really? time. Probably if I had to think maybe I'm probably, it would have been the early days of syrup. Cause that's the manger days, right? This is me living in the manger for murder. This is riding dirty. But I'm saying when the music come out. But no, because no. Yeah, well, murder when we came out, we was in Port Arthur. But I recorded that at Skip Holman and Katie. Remember? Mm-hmm. At that suit where N.O. Joe brought us to that first studio. And, huh? See, right. no, see, you know what I'm see, first Queen was the memory for you losing it. And now well, she's, you, yeah. well, she's thinking about like the the where I was living when Ryan Dirty yeah. came out, okay. as opposed to where we were when we recorded it. Because I met, I literally met Queenie the day we got the mastered mix of the album. Like I went of to Ryan my homie's Dirty. house. Yeah, I mean, I, I went to my homie's house to play it, and she was there. Mm-hmm. And, but that's another story. That's okay, another okay. podcast. Forget about it. But uh, so, so, so I go so in. I'm fucked up, and I go to the studio, and like. They're still dumping the track and all the instruments and, and tracking the, the song out, which back then took took a while. It took, took a lot longer than it does now. So I went to sleep. Like, right where, see this little area right here that you have under this table yep. right here? This little desk? Yep. That's how the board was, and it had space underneath. So I literally crawled underneath that shit and, like, went to sleep. And then they woke me up when the beat was ready. So I woke up. I wrote the rhyme. 
I went in. I did it in two takes. To, as I did, I wanted it to go all the way through with the with my breath. I didn't want because so and so. Riding Dirty is one of the first rap albums, rap albums recorded in Pro Tools. Most people don't know that. Mm. Um, we were we, we recorded at this guy Skip Holman's house, who had one of the largest sound li- sound libraries in the world, and did a lot of commercial work. So he had shown No Joe this new way of recording directly into a computer, save time on vocals, all this stuff instead of rewinding tapes, all that goofy shit. So um, we were out there with that. So I, I got up, and so we're in the computer. And this is literally when they're like, you don't have to go all the way to the beginning. We can punch you in right where you stopped and make it sound like, make it seamless. But I'm a lyricist and my thing is whatever this, this rhyme that I'm finally getting to write and rap that is supposed to be the definition of my lyrical ability. I can't use a studio trick for that because I'm going to, I'm going to want to have to replicate that. I'm going to want to, do that again, right? And be able to say that rum just like I said it on sure. there. So the first time I did it, I messed up like probably 24 bars in and they were like, um, you can stop, you know, we'll pick you up from there. I was like, nah, fuck that. So we went back and I got it all on the second take and then I went back to sleep. <laughs> hey, listen, it's it's known as one of your best verses uh, ever. People, it is. Pe- pe- people consider you a, a murderer on that. On that that was that was the rhyme that I wanted to. I actually wrote the rhyme that I wanted to write that day. And you don't always do that, right? Sometimes you hit some good bars. Sometimes you close it out. Sometimes you come out. How the crazy. fuck do you do that? Because I've seen you. We we came up actually in Engine Room Studios. Mm-hmm. Young Buck uh, called us up. I was in the studio. Right. You went upstairs. Right, I sat down on the couch, and they were all smoking or whatever. And you fucking went on your iPhone. I mean, you didn't have an iPhone back then, but I'm saying you went on your iPhone, just started writing. Just yeah, started it, was writing. A, it was an iPhone back. There probably wasn't the seven. Probably would have been a four or five or something. But yeah, I got. To, I started writing all my rhyme and my rhymes in my notes so I could keep them up because otherwise it's a bunch of paper. You know what I'm saying? So you write. So you think right off the top of the head. Yeah. Right, and then go in the booth. Yeah. I but, write everything in real but how time. Do you I don't cal- keep any. But I how don't... do you calm your mind? Because keep in mind, right, right now I'm thinking, you know, we're sitting here and we're doing this, but I'm also thinking about something, you know, maybe something else. So you may have something on your mind. You know, our minds are clogged sometimes. How do right. you clear your mind to write a verse? I don't even, at this stage, I don't even need that much of my mental capacity to do that. Right? It's At this point, it's mental mu- muscle memory, mm. if that makes any sense. Mm. Right, it's just something that my mind is trained to do in a way that it could do it almost. I mean, if my hands could work by themselves, my body would write rhymes involuntarily. You know what I'm saying? It's just a natural process of how my mind works throughout the day. I wouldn't say I necessarily write rhymes in my head through the day, but I always think of different cadences. I think of different. I think of different syllable breakdowns all the time. What about vocabulary? How did you get so good at vocabulary? You know, reading, what? reading that, that encyclopedia Britannica. Thanks to Bob. We were talking about, you Yo, know what you, I'm saying? Yeah, Just, you know Because I read every one, cover to cover. It, really? Yeah, every it, every book in my bedroom I read. Cover it's, to cover. it's crazy to me because I think that some people, un, 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 unfortunately, um, and it's sad to hear sometimes, like when they hear you and you've been on the news, CNN, you've done a bunch of stuff with Vice, you're doing political stuff. I mean, you, you professor. I think when people hear you who don't know you like that, Right. Like wow, Bumby's a smart fucking guy. Wait, he you know he's even look like like someone like Killer Mike. People look at this guy as a rapper, he's a big guy. His name's Killer Mike. When you hear that fucking guy talk, 
I mean, it's like it's like it's like you know, it's smart people. Yeah, and you know, it took a while for me to get to the point where, and I'm still working on that. Where my music is a pure, pure, full reflection of who I am. My music didn't always need to be that, right? People didn't need to necessarily know everything about me. People just wanted to know how I moved in certain scenarios, right? So that was all I needed to tell people, how I moved in the hood, how I moved making money, how I hustled, how I made the music, right? That was the dynamic in life that people wanted to know about. It was my job to bring those other elements of myself into my music to to kind of level the playing field and make that connection deeper with people. Yeah. Man, it's crazy. <laughs> As we wind this episode down, uh, Beyonce... Hits up uh, Slim Thug and you yeah. for the Check On It remix? Yes. How did that happen? Matthew knows. Like, the, her and her father was like, you know, we want to make sure that we touch. Um, you know, we have an opportunity in an outlet right now, and it'd be, it'd be nice to be able to give a little, you know, back to the artists in the city. And it's not like it's, we're not doing anything. Like, this is when all the H-Town artists are killing it. Mike Jones is double platinum. Slim Thug Yo, is- Yo, where is Mike Jones, man? Who? He's, he's around. Mike Jones. Who? Who? Mike Jones. He's around. You can call him. 281-330. Fuck. Are you cool? Are you still cool? <laughs> what? He lives in Atlanta. He lives in Atlanta? Yeah, I see him all the time. Like, Remember we, all- we were on the... Where, where were we? we were in, and, and he was in a, another dressing room, I think. Where the fuck were we? Was Remember that here? The Coors Light shit? We were with, uh, oh, that would have been at... Uh, um, what city was that? I think we were in D.C. or something. Or I don't even know. He was around that day. I think, yeah, but nobody has seen him in a while. What happened to Mike Jones? He just man? moved out of Houston. That's why most people don't see him where they see everybody else from that time. All right, but bye. he's a very pri- he's more private, I think, than he and Chameleon there kind of fall back and come back, you know? Yeah. Chameleon there less than everybody because he's out there making millions in Silicon Valley. But he's trying to, Chameleon there's trying to be the black Warren Buffett, you know, mm-hmm. get this kind of information and then bring it back to the culture and help educate the culture on what to, how to really move from you know, getting paid to getting rich to becoming wealthy. That's Chameleon's dream is to help help hip-hop people um, set themselves sure, up. Sure, outside of hip-hop too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and, and that's important too because that's everybody's doing hip-hop. Everybody's, we need that. We you need, know what I mean? So we need those, and we need those individuals, right? Mm-hmm. We need people that from hip-hop that are able to transcend and able to get in different places and see different things to bring that information back. That's what hip-hop was always supposed to be about. Sure. And and learn, like, you know, teaching, you know, uh, hip-hop and religion and rice, as yeah. you do as a professor. Um, Shout out know, to Dr. Penn. Big Dr. Penn in the building. You know, um, what you what you do, what they don't do is they don't do credit. They don't do mortgage classes. They don't do entrepreneur classes. And I think that we need more of that really just to learn. You yeah, know? you know, um, Russ was trying to do that. Series. You know, Russell Simmons had that series for a couple of years where he was going on, you know, city to city about financial empowerment, teaching people how to get ready to prepare taxes and all of that. But, I mean, we got to start that younger, right? That's, yeah. And the problem is, High that, school. is that, that we as adults, we don't take taxes and all of that seriously and credit it until we get audited. We don't really think about credit until we need it. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. So it's just a matter of having those conversations earlier within the community. Finish uh, what you, I cut you off with Mike Jones. Who? Um, with um, Beyonce, you said her father wanted to do yeah, something. Yeah, so he called out and, and just tried to, you know, find these different places where he could insert us into that Destiny Child or, you know, Beyonce world. And God bless him for that. How big was that record? Oh, it was huge. That, the pink, just, you know, first of all, it was a movie soundtrack song. And actually, there was no soundtrack. There was just that one song for the movie. 
And, you know, Steve Martin is like a fucking god to me in the comedy world. So just knowing that I'm going to be associated with him and Inspector Cousseau and that kind of... Because Peter Sellers was like, you know, like you said, a chameleon. He was one of those guys, you know. Um, you look at Inspector Cousseau and then look at Dr. Strangelove. But, you know, it was beautiful to be appreciated, right? That's, and Beyonce is just a beautiful, beautiful individual inside and out and just so humble and so courteous and, you know, made us all feel so welcome in the space and um we never felt like we were with you know one of the biggest Strangers, stars in the yeah. world or nothing like that she took us all in and continues to you know always um bring us in Show, she brought yeah. us back for another song she brought us all put all the houston rappers what was that on that a remix a, of, um that her oh, album damn, um what was that song called queen that she put everybody on it was something about the queen is back the bitches something about yeah, bitches. yeah yeah but um but yeah, that's fucked up for me. My bad, B. But yeah, but um, you know, she was she's a beautiful person and a great opportunity. And um, you know, shout out to her and Hove and the Blue and the Twins. Yeah. Hey, listen. Um, as a again, as we wind this episode oh down, God. we keep on we keep on saying this. Yeah, shit. I know Roberta's so, going so, crazy. So what's what's next? What's next for you? You said the album. Anything else? Um. Yeah. So I know that Queen is you know working on some festivities around uh, Bumby Weekend. So that's mm-hmm. going to be interesting. The, the EP coming in um, hopefully by late September. Um, the Bernard album coming probably in March. I would love to have it drop around my birthday. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And um, have like a, you know, like a birthday party where everybody, you know, we, my birthday parties usually be at South by Southwest. Um, you know what I'm saying? Around that time because South by is going on around that time. So it'd be good to, and I haven't done one in a while at South by. So it'd be fun to do that again. Now, uh, would you ever think about opening a record label? Just for having a good ear for music, good ear for talent. It's a lot of it's a lot of trouble. Like it's a lot of trouble. Um, with you know, I'm an artist. I'm moody than a motherfucker. Sometimes I would hate to get a call from me at three in the morning. Like it's never a good call. And people are into a whole lot of other shit. And to be honest, it's a lot easier for an artist to do it on his own nowadays. A lot of them just don't want to. You know, and I know that by how many people just constantly hand me demos and all of that. And I'm like, how many of these did you bring? You know, like, I just want to make sure I brought one to you. I'm like, yeah, but everybody in here loves music. Like, that's why they're here. You didn't do anything to to do that. Like, I remember going to a music festival in Atlanta and we're walking to the festival and some dudes are selling water, right? Like, that's it, which is a good festival hustle, right? And so when they see me, they're like, yo, we got, yo, Bumpy, here's my CD. I was like, yo, how many of these have you passed out? just for you you know we just if we see artists i'm like how many bottles of water have you sold though like shit i don't know man we don't like the six case i'm like imagine if you gave a cd to everybody you sold a bottle of water to you mm. probably have as many fans as you selling water right now but you're so worried <laughs> about me and now i got your music for free you know yeah but they're gonna be the ones that come to clubs you know follow you on on these social media sites and, and buy your t-shirts and shit like that like you're missing the moment. You're missing the real opportunity here. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you know, and it's like, damn, we didn't even think of it like that. And I don't think most artists think of it like that. And again, that's easy for me to say after 25 years sure, of being sure. in the industry. Sure, sure, knowledge. Know so now I, I know that there's a lot that they need from me. So that's kind of what this new music is about. I'm trying to make it as personal about me, but not make it about me. Sure. Right? Like like giving up everything I got for the greater good. That's sure. That's I a think, moral I think, obligation. I think it's going to be a beautiful thing. I think it's going to be a beautiful thing. Last thing. Yeah. Big Pimpin'. Yes. 
How crazy was that video shoot? How crazy was everything involved around that? Is there anything that you take away that from that that, that, that you think of that was crazy? That like the craziest thing about it wasn't, you know, it wasn't flying to Trinidad. It wasn't having a million dollar budget. It wasn't, and if the the craziest thing about that was the turnaround. In right? what sense? So we went to Trinidad, right? We're in Trinidad for I went for two days. They shot for three days because I missed the first flight. Then we come back to Miami. We have to set up a whole special shoot because Pip never went to Trinidad at all. So we had Why to set up a whole. He, he was he was busy. Yeah. Okay. He was busy. I hate to keep saying different stories and bring. But I mean, this was before he was with his wife, so she can't. I don't know if she can really get mad about it. But he was like Pimp was was you know the star of the video, and they had hired Gloria Velez to be like the main video girl, and neither one of them showed up to the video shoot because they were locked up together. In Miami, so they ended up having to bring the video to Miami. (laughs) But the craziest thing was the turnaround. So we literally shot the final day of shooting on a Monday. The video was edited and cut by Wednesday. Um, And it was the first rap video for making the video for MTV. Mm. So they started running the commercials by Wednesday night, Thursday morning, and debuted a 30-minute show and a brand-new video. Because they shot the whole making the video in Miami for for the pickup with Pimp. They shot the whole episode there and then cut all of that shit together and debuted that video Friday night on on MTV, like 7 o'clock. Just like that. Just like that. I mean, they they put, I'd never seen a machine move so fast. Like, I'd never seen that. Like, you, it normally takes weeks. To, you got to, you got, back then you had to get the video back. You had to service it. It had to get in the system, all of that. If you, you know, if you were special, they try to find, no, this thing, that video week, we yelled cut on Monday at like 7 o'clock, and Friday at 7 o'clock, it was a 30-minute TV special on MTV. That's crazy. How many bottles of champagne were there? Not much. It was actually the Hennessy was the problem that day. Really? Yeah. Well, for us, Dame drank a whole bottle of champagne. That's why he was for Dame almost drowned How? that day. Like, because he, he was getting fucked up and like... So, like, I remember that like on the boat, they were saying that... Like, on the video, you see him pour the champagne on the camera. And it's like... He's, you know, they had to tell him like, "B, we know you like got money to enough money to pay for this camera, but don't prove it." You know what I'm saying? Like, don't do it. And then like on in Miami in the in the water, he was like drinking, and then he took somebody's sunglasses, and then like they had a scene where the girls were, you know, the slow motion bikini running on the beach was the shot, and out of nowhere he just runs and tackles the girls into the into the fucking ocean. And literally starts swallowing water. Like, he comes out throwing up water. You remember that shit? And he lost whoever's glasses those was. In the ocean, just done. What the fuck? And if you look at the end of the video, he's, like, on the couch. And that's literally him passed out from being, like, pissed drunk at, like, 5 o'clock, 5.30. 5.30 in the afternoon. Thank, listen, the legendary Dame Dash. But, listen. God bless I man. appreciate you sitting down just Dame going Dame Dash gave me, tr- gave me my first sneaker. Right. What Dash. was that? The Pro Cats. Oh, really? I had Pro three Cats. shoes. I had the Pimp C, I had the, the Astros colorway, and I, I can't remember what the third colorway was, but but God bless them. Hey, listen. Th- th- blessings this, blessings on your family. We don't have we, we don't have enough. Oh, yeah, the black with the we don't We don't have enough time to go over the fucking whole journey. You know, no, we'll I, I just want to say quickly, I want to say that I really, I'm just so proud of you as a brother. I mean, you, you grew up in Houston, grew up in Port Arthur, 
able to have friends with the the Houston uh, Rockets owner, like the things I've been able to see. You do, I have you know. Well, we don't with, even know who the new who the owner of the Rockets is right now. Well, I'm talking about, but, even, but yeah, but no, but, but I'm saying just the baseball people. guy who owns the baseball. Uh, uh, Jim Crane. But I'm saying you're friends with these guys. Did you ever think? You know what I'm saying? Like this is a guy that you grew up. Okay, you could just be considered hip hop. Even that back then could be said, oh, just a rapper. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, now, I mean that's if I put myself in that box and I leave myself in that box, then that'll be the only way people ever come at me. And just being, you know, having a, a, a great wife, a great church, a strong belief in God, amazing management, and people that aren't scared to 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 test me on things and push me. It, doors continue to open, opportunities continue to arise. It's it's, been, bro, it's always, a blessed life. Man. Listen, you're always around some fucking crazy people. It was my last story. Um, we were hanging out. You introduced me to the founders of Members Only, the jacket. Right. And then all of Billy. a sudden, yeah, what up, Billy. And then all of a sudden, you said, "Listen, there's a guy who's gonna come here, a Russian guy." <laughs> okay, but the only thing is, he's missing a thumb. So yeah. I was like, "I was, he's, I was like, well, what the he's fuck?" He's finished. He's finished. You, but yeah. You said the guy fucking. He lost a thumb. He lost, a, play, he lost it playing. He lost a thumb to a Russian. Playing play, poker. Playing poker. Yeah. So, so I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? All of a sudden, you're like, here he comes, here he comes. And then the guy puts, and you introduced me to be like, hey, miss my friend Pete. And then he fucking shakes my hand with his nub. And, I'm like, what the fuck? Is and that matches my whole thing, right? Because the hand's going to come at you, right? And it's not going to have a thumb attached. So it's not, you're not going to be able to shake this hand like you think. It was going to be, right? See, see, a light just went off in his head, right? <laughs> like imagine, you just imagine the hand with no thumb trying to shake it, right? It's fucking crazy. You can you can't just move this to do it. Does you can't just move your thumb down and no. Like he had no thumb. So when you move in for the shake, it's gonna be smooth, G. It's gonna be smooth. So don't go to the forearm, Pete. You gotta stop. Stop at the knuckles. You can't go all the way up. Listen, Bun, I'm looking forward to this EP. I'm looking forward to the album. I'm looking forward to everything you're doing. I I, I And I, I'm looking forward to more podcasts. Uh, of course, man. I appreciate you. I love you. You're you're a great brother and and and, and not only just as a friend, I, I appreciate all your contributions to the culture because you really Really give people that big brother feel, that uncle feel, and um, I just appreciate you. Thank you, Pete, man. Likewise. Internet's Bumby. Cheer. <laughs>